Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mike and Diana got to play some games. And I pray to your mama that they're not super lame. And if that all sounds cool, I can tell you the name. And welcome to the RHAP B&B for the finale of Survivor Edge of Extinction. My name is Mike Bloom. It is good to be back after a couple of weeks away from paternity leave. I have returned feeling invigorated. I have uh, something in my pocket. It's not an idol, though. I do believe it's a pacifier for my son, uh, though I do have to put those two pieces together to make something whole. I'm getting off track here. We have a lot to talk about with this absolutely bananas conclusion to survivor edge of extinction let me welcome in the panel to talk through all the mishigash going on first the co-owner of the bnb who has done a fantastic job running this ship for the past two weeks liana boris liana how are you good i cut all my hair off so sia hit me up i'm ready for some money i think that's really all it takes that's what i learned from this finale so i'm good to go i did not know where that was going to be completely honest the the days have been such a blur for me due to sleep deprivation since wednesday that i i did not honestly know where you were gonna go i thought it was just a a reaction to the finale that you just went (laughs) manic and shaved yourself bald yeah, it was definitely more of a Britney 2007 kind of reaction, but I'm going to try to sell it like a Joe cutting hair off for charity just to make myself seem a little bit more sane. Um, but this finale was absolutely, absolutely bonkers. So, yeah, that's the effect that it had on me. So I'm so excited to welcome in this guest once again. You know, I'll admit uh, I was thinking about bringing Ryan Reynolds in. But you know what? I came into the bar and I saw Eric Stein, who is much more appealing. So I ditched detective pikachu and got with the real hero here eric welcome back how you doing thanks so much for having me and in the words of noted cbs reality commentator gallagher what a life we lead in the edge 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 of extinction oh my goodness i'll say leading up to this cbs was putting out these promos of it's the most unpredictable finale ever and I know everybody was rolling their eyes being like, yes, we know Devons is winning. You're trying to market this as unpredictable because he's playing a bunch of idols and advantages to get to the end. But no, they were true to their logline here. This has to be one of the most absurd things I've seen on reality television ever. And that includes the time that someone accidentally voted for the wrong person in Big Brother Canada and cost their friend uh, the, the title. It's 
I mean, I guess I just have to throw out a question here. You know, we are three people who are fairly invested in reality TV across the board as just an art form in general. What the hell happened here? I'm still trying to wrap my brain around it. That's a really great question, Mike. And I was thinking, oh, I'm really happy that we're recording the B&B later. We're not doing it right after the finale. It'll give me time to get my thoughts together and really understand what happened in the finale. Nope. I feel like I'm just as confused as I was afterwards. I, I The only thing I've been able to do is I like, come up with more analogies to describe how I feel about the situation. Um, and that's really all I've done. Like, I, I don't know who Chris Underwood is. I don't know. I like no shame against him, but like, I can't comprehend what happened and how the twist played into this and that he was able to come back and win. And like, where is Devin's? Like, I don't know. I have a new stepdad and I'm supposed to love Chris, but I don't. And I want my old dad back, Rick Devin's, even though I didn't even like my old dad in the first place. Like, I don't know. It's really confusing. It's just so emotional. Eric, I really want to get your thoughts on all of this because suffice it to say, I know you were on a few weeks ago with Rob to sort of talk through the middle of the season when things we thought things were at their most frenetic then. And I think just these series of events have led to, as Rob said, a very polarizing reaction across the board where I feel like you have to feel one way or the other in reaction to all this. On the Summer of Stein podcast, Rob and I famously introduced my oofometer to rate how many oofs a moment makes you want to say, how cringeworthy it is. Well, guys, we're going to need a new mechanism this summer because the oofometer has been broken. Wow. It's over. The party is over. No, there's no five oofs that could possibly describe this situation. This was plainly the most ridiculous thing I could have ever imagined watching. It was both sublimely fantastic, the most entertaining episode of the season by far, and simultaneously one of the worst episodes in the history of the show. <laughs> I could not agree more. I mean, especially from the ridiculous aspect, because here's what I will say. This is probably the most eventful finale Survivor has ever had and will ever have. Just because I know we all had our eyes glued to that television screen on Wednesday night once Chris came back, and especially once some momentum was gained. You know, when he, when he got Lauren to play his idol on him, and then he, had a, he played his own idol, and especially when he took Devins out. And we look around and we say, how did we end up with this final three? And then, somehow, against all odds, I think if you had power-ranked all 16 people still left in contention to win, I think Chris Underwood would probably be at least 15 out of 16, if not 16 out of 16. I think this is the most genuinely surprising outcome to any Survivor season that I have ever seen. Now, granted, surprising can have both good and bad connotations. I'm still trying to wrap my head around whether this is a good surprising or a not-so-good surprising, but this is still stunning. Even almost a week later, this is still absolutely stunning to me. Mike, forget power-ranking them before the episode. If you power-ranked the players of the edge of extinction right now. I don't think Chris Underwood would make the top eight. <laughs> I well, that's why that's why it's so shocking is because I'm sorry, Chris, who like I was looking on social media and saw a picture of Devin's Chris and Julie. And I was like, who's the guy in the middle? Oh, it was Chris, the winner of the season. Yeah. I, and I do feel kind of bad for Chris in this scenario. Now, granted, you know, I talked with him the next day. I think he is, trying his best to really justify 
a situation where honestly all these correct cards got lined up in his favor that ended up him winning a season of Survivor where ordinarily he would have been going on the pre-jury trip. Uh, but I mean, I almost feel like, and I, I know Stephen and Hannah sort of talked about this on the know-it-alls. This was less about Chris winning as much as it was, it was more so the twist winning. But I think you could tell both, maybe not so much the viewers, maybe half the viewers uh, and the season proper wanted Rick to represent the concept of edge of extinction. And somehow we ended up with like, you know, you, you hire, I don't know, like a celebrity to come to your birthday party and you end up with like one of the times square people dressed up like Iron Man instead of Robert Downey Jr. That's sort of the form that we got here in terms of actual expectations of who's going to represent the edge of extinction as a season and just being completely surprising. And a little uh, a little underwhelming in terms of just where his edit was going previously to this episode yeah i don't uh i don't hold anything against any of the players involved like it's not chris's fault that he was thrown into this crazy situation and like if you or him of course you want to take advantage of the fact that you get to come back in the game you get this idol that is essentially gifted to you by production and so of course you're going to use all of these things to your advantage i think it was just as a viewer really trying to wrap my head around exactly what had happened because you're getting told this story and this narrative over the course of the season and then it's so jarring to have someone that you don't really know and that you don't know that much about just all of a sudden come back in and play such a big role like I know that he was coming in as the Devon Slayer and so then that is then going to give me rooting interest I mean we're not going to do a casuals corner this week but definitely the casuals were upset that Devon's lost but they were happy that Chris won of the three of them so I guess to the editor's credit if that's the out if that's what they were trying to convey I think they successfully did that at least for the casuals although it was still very jarring to me in terms of like the edit but um yeah it's just it's just very confusing i don't know that much about extinction but i'm not familiar with any species that warded off near extinction before (laughs) this is unfamiliar to me it's like uh uh, you know uh, if chris the dodo bird somehow rallied back (laughs) regrouped and now he's like a prominent figure again. This this is not uh, I've never heard of the edge of extinction. And I, and I certainly didn't expect it to play out in this way. But unlike you, I actually hold several of the players accountable, but not Chris. Uh, I am embarrassed for the people who remained in the game. I mean, there were so many ways that they could have prevented it from unfolding in this way. Lauren's idol play was a disaster. Mm. I mean. Why is she helping Chris? Why isn't she holding it for herself? Why is she putting an idol back in circulation? I mean, what a fiasco. And then the other people I'd really like to point a finger at would be the returning players because they should have some respect for the game that they love and a game that they helped build. And it seems to me like this was almost a screw you to production, a screw you to the remaining players. They can talk themselves into it all they want. Not a single person thinks that Chris played the best game this season. Admittedly, he played a more exciting window of a game, but that does not a winner make. And it really comes to where we're at in Survivor right now. And people like Gavin or Julie or Victoria, even they need to take note. It's not just about making it to the end. You need to make entertainment. It's part of the game. Mm. You know, Rick Devins was the only person who looked like he was having fun out there. And at the end of the day, 
the players are treating this like they're playing a game in their basement with their friends. But it's a television show and the producers are making a television show and they're going to punish you if you don't make good television. That's a really interesting point, because I feel like with this concept of the edge of extinction, it really was the jury was even more enraptured by what was going on at Tribal Council, because as what's been discussed this entire season, they were craving some sort of stimulus. They did not have the ability to kick back and drink a beer at Ponderosa. And so they were just craving any morsel that Devins was giving them. I mean, you even saw in this finale. I know there's been reactions the entire season about the jury going crazy uh, just maybe overreacted to some things. But we even saw once they were cleaned and fed, they were reacting so uproariously to like the to the double fake idol play, for example, or Chris taking Devin's on like they were in for the spectacle. And so it really was, you know, what got Rick on their side, even if he was not exactly playing the best strategic game. I totally agree with you about the final six vote, by the way. I think that and, and not just the Lauren idol play, but I feel like the who was it? it was Lauren, Gavin and Julie just really bungled it by going for Victoria instead of throwing their votes on Chris, because I mean, I don't think they knew that he had that two part idol that he would be safe the next round. But like Boston Rob perfected that revolving door strategy for a reason. You know, I think that's the reason why they gave them these two part idols when they come back from extinction, because it's so easy to just get rid of the returning player, especially knowing they have so much information. But for what it's worth, for his part, I think Chris was really able to, and he talked about this with me, admittedly manipulate this information. Kelly, I don't think, ever told him, quote, hey, Lauren should play her idol on somebody correctly to make a big move. He was absolutely manipulating her in that moment by saying something that she would want to hear from someone that she really respects. But it's a clear sign as to the information advantage that he had and how he was really able to do that to get through the most difficult vote and then, you know, from a from a matter of different advantages and skill sets, be able to cruise into the final three, where then he had enough of a three day resume to beat someone who two people who had played thirty nine days worth of stuff. Uh, so I, I guess I can see the point about the making entertainment, and definitely in terms of the ratio of like moves divided by days, Chris for sure wins out on that, and um, and so I can see why that would be so entertaining from the jury. But it almost feels like he was able to play that way because he was playing with house money, so he's able to just sort of come back in and like bang it out. And uh, it's almost like if you're Gavin and Julie and you're running a marathon, and then Chris just gets to like hop in on the last three miles and sprint the rest of the way. Of course, mm. he can sprint the rest of the way because Gavin and Julie had been like running the full marathon. Um, I think for me, like the biggest issue uh, is with with this whole situation is this was from um, Dalton Ross's interview with um, Rick Devins. And apparently Chris came back with like a bunch of information, including written notes from some of the contestants from the edge of extinction. Like he had a written note from Ron telling Julie to trust him. Um, and like so a, these like are things slip basically yeah. for strategy <laughs> exactly like thanks teacher ron for like okay julie it's okay you can trust uh you can trust chris and so he comes back with all these things and you know i don't know if that's okay that's unfair to him because of the twist or is that like kudos to him because he was out there gaining those advantages that if he was able to come back in the game he would have so I don't know. I, I, like, I want to give all the credit to Chris for doing what he did, but then also I can't help but think about the format and the way that he was able to thrive because of the structure of the game. Well, I feel like what is also leaving a bit of a sour taste in some people's mouths, and like you said, Liana, I think there are some people that are happy for a Christian. I'm happy for Chris as a person, 
maybe not necessarily for the, just the overall outcome of the season because he spent such a long time on Extinction. I wonder in retrospect if after Rick came back into the game, if they had wiped the slate clean, and yes, that would have deprived us of like seven or eight episodes of Ream Daily, which would have been a disgrace. But at the same time, it basically eliminates this idea of having a pre-merged person come back. I think that's probably the most ridiculous thing of all, is that this guy was a third boot, and he came back and went on to win the season. It's a crazy thing to think about, even if you proposed it in any of Survivor's previous 18-plus years. But this particular season, it, it happened to occur and ended up producing one of the weirdest Survivor results ever, just because he was able to benefit from not only a second chance, but a third chance at the game in this finale. The format was completely flawed. So, so bad. I mean, the fact that he got to spend time bonding with them, uh, there was no stakes so they can actually relax. The fact that they knew only one person was coming back, so they had 13 of them strategizing on behalf of whoever would come back into the game. It was doomed from the start i think it would have helped if they cleared the deck at that point at least we would have been more familiar with the person coming back into the game but like you said liana they're completely playing with house money plus also how do you play a game that doesn't really have rules anymore and that's i think really the biggest problem that the fan base is having is gavin played the way that you think you are supposed to play it's like uh you know you're playing monopoly and 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 now you can just remove people's hotels at a whim or you only need two squares to get a monopoly. It, it's just rewriting what we believe to be the rules of the game, which makes it impossible to play because you can't anticipate these situations. There is no conceivable way that Gavin could have played a game that anticipated Chris coming back in, being gifted an idol, uh, all of these shenanigans. And not to mention at the core, the object of the game is to not be voted out which Chris mm -hmm. failed at doing miserably. So uh, it's very hard to articulate how he could have possibly played the winning game when he didn't do anything that you are theoretically supposed to do to win. So either we're just playing a completely different game now or, um, you know, it, it really boggles the mind. I have this mental image of Chris like over being the banker, just like stuffing Monopoly money in his pockets <laughs> just because he's like decided to cheat because now that's how you can play. He has a monocle uh, on. Yeah, right. Is, is the Age of Extinction jail here where you have to, I don't know, if you win a challenge, if you win the jailbreak challenge, then you're able to move your little top hat back on the Monopoly board. Yeah, he got lucky with the get out of jail free card. Yeah, he, he, he rolled the three doubles, so now he was able yeah. to get out. He got second place in a beauty contest with Reem coming in first. <laughs> um, not play such a weird game. Um, also, by the way, I did check the um, conservation status for like endangered species. Um, it is vulnerable, endangered, critically endangered, extinct in the wild, and extinct. I see no edge of extinction here, so I just want to throw that out there. I don't know how that fits in. We'll have to add a new status for that, just based on whether or not the uh, the Audubon Society or whoever manages it is a Survivor fan. Much like Sia, Survivor fans are everywhere <laughs> out there in the wild. They are certainly not extinct. To your point, Eric, about the Gavin stuff, because I feel like maybe there was a separation here where, I mean, I'm totally in agreement, and I feel like a lot of the fan base was in what Gavin was saying. And this stuff with, well, you know, Chris talks up these accolades, and Gavin says, well, one of them is that you got handed an idol. Uh, you, you have Rick, who I enjoy personally, but there was a pretty ugh, moment with Rick where during the Outlast portion, he says, 
Hey guys, I found a bunch of idols because I worked real hard. Why didn't you work as hard as me, Rick Devins? And Gavin essentially responds by saying, I didn't need to because I wasn't at the bottom. So I didn't need to find idols. I was doing my own work. I think that, you know, Gavin was making a lot of salient points from our perspective, considering how mm-hmm. we viewed the game and how the Edge of Extinction stuff shook up the game structure. I think his problem is that he didn't necessarily read the room. And I think that when you're talking to, who was it at that point, 10 other people that had been on the edge of extinction and essentially saying like, well, your experience, you know, if you had come back instead of Chris, I would still be saying the same thing, which is your experience is a little bit invalidated. As legitimate as it may be when it comes to crowning a survivor winner based on gameplay, it still is going to hurt them. I think Hannah made a great point that Chris was essentially the avatar of the edge of extinction and while he claims he might have had to still make some moves it was not a slam dunk that if he came back he would automatically win if he made the final three you know people say i'm assuming people were on the jury saying like yeah if i had come back i would have done the same stuff as chris so i'm, I'm gonna give him a win because he's sort of like my spiritual avatar i plugged myself into the navi that is chris underwood and he was able to you know jump through the trees of pandora to make his way into the final here and uh, suck the juice from the tree of life as it were so i think that gavin you know made some really good points the jury was just not receptive to it especially there's this one comment that julia made where gavin was you know talking down like i didn't get voted out you did that's not classic survivor and julia's like the game has evolved gavin and it's like this is not an evolution of the game, Julia. This would be like if you grew a third arm just through like interaction with toxic waste and you're like, yep, I guess the the human body has evolved now. Everyone's got to have three arms. This is how we're living now. Get used to it. I think one of the problems here is that Gavin did not play a good game. That's the thing. He did survive the game, which is one of the objects of the game, but he did basically next to nothing. He was, this was just one of those seasons where the threats picked off each other. They went one by one and the other people were remaining. I mean, somewhere, uh, you know, the final three uh, of like Gabon is doing a dance because now they have another (laughs) possible group. That's the worst final three in in the history of the show here. I mean, the the thing is he, he didn't read the room. But why why should he even have to? I mean, you know, what they they were out. They were eliminated. What 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 can you say? Why does their experience need to be validated? What what should be validated about it? They they were out. There, there was they didn't do anything special. They they got an extra opportunity that hundreds of survivors before them did not have. And also uh just hopping from topic to topic here, I just wanted to talk about Devin's idols and his comments on the jury a little bit. I think that I can pinpoint exactly what people didn't like about Devin's. And it's the fact that his idols were not because he worked harder. They're what I like to call gift idols. You know, when you're the only person left who represents the opposition in a season and you're the only thing that's preventing a steamroll, you're the only resistance left It just seems uncanny that all of a sudden you start finding every single idol on the island. It happened with Ben Kelly in the middle of a challenge ran up to a box and wouldn't you know it? It was in her box. Um, And you have to start watching this with a little bit of skepticism. Is Devin's this master idol finder or is our Devin's idols just a little bit easier to find than everybody else's? And I understand I'm going to get the tinfoil hat comments like this is a conspiracy theory. But you're telling me that this guy is like the most adept idol finder there is. I think the problem is it just seemed all too easy for him to find these idols. I don't know. I think in broadcast school, that's one of the things that you're definitely trained on is idol hunting. Uh, So, yeah, Yeah, if you can find a headline, you can find an idol. 
That's right. You know, yeah, no, I mean, it, it. the fact that it always definitely goes that way, you can't help but put your tinfoil hat on and think like, OK, there's something to this, because imagine if De- I mean, I, I because the narrative was so heavily Devin's for the ending of the season, I don't even know what the editors then would have chosen to show. Uh, like, I really don't see then what their compelling story would have been if Devin's hadn't been there. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I guess like with the whole jury situation, and the way that that Gavin treated the jury. I mean, absolutely, you have to know your audience and you have to be able to sell your story to this audience. I just try to think of, okay, what would he have said? I mean, he would have tried to build up his own game. But Eric, to your point, if there wasn't a whole lot there, what can he really talk about? And we didn't really see him do that all that much. I mean, somewhat, but uh, it was a lot about sort of tearing down Chris, here's what he could have said uh, to tear down Chris even further. Chris was given an idol after he was immune at the final 15, the final 14, the final 13 (laughs) and straight on down the line. What what did he need an idol for? The man didn't run the risk of being voted out for two thirds of the entire game. Who do you think? No, what would Julie have said? I'm sorry, like this the, or War Dog. The theme is not on trial. You're on trial. <laughs> yeah, that's basically the survivor version of like you're out of order. This whole court is out of order. Uh, I'll I'll throw out a question here. Of this final six, you know, Sans Chris, who do you think was the most screwed by this Edge of Extinction choice? Because I'm really been rallying back and forth between it being either Gavin or Victoria. Because I feel like from what we were painted, at least, and maybe in another universe, if someone doesn't come back from the edge of extinction again, maybe Victoria still gets targeted. But you have to feel like nobody was targeting her from what we were seeing until Chris came in and said she was a jury threat, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, because he came back in and he was like, "Okay, yeah, the two people are Devons, obviously. And then Victoria was the other name that he threw out there. And I don't know if that was good. I mean, like, again, credit to him. But if without this crazy twist, he never would have been there to put the target on Victoria in the first place, because then that's when Lauren gets the idea all of a sudden, seemingly out of the blue, that Victoria is the next person to go. So I think Victoria is the most screwed by this. Hmm. Eric, what, what do you, I know you were talking about that final six vote before. Do you feel like uh, this was do you, do you feel like Victoria could have done anything in the final six to try to dissuade her allies from voting her out instead of throwing their votes onto Chris? I mean, it, it does seem like she should have been able to. I, I think sometimes you don't want to scare off your own allies by seeming as if you're paranoid. But it seems to me that she could have easily held strong with uh, Gavin and Lauren straight through to the end. Although I, I guess I'm I'm kind of of the the mindset that really none of the uh, other finalists played all that well. I mean, so much or or it's at least outside of the context of the twist, because so much of the back half of the season was dictated by Devins, who was already back because of the twist. So it's very hard to rate. One of the things that, though, I've been really chewing over is, do you guys think that Lauren or Victoria would have beaten Chris if they were in the final three? I feel like uh, you know, Julie and Gavin represented the flattest options by far. So I wonder if someone who was a little bit more likable, if Lauren was there, presumably she played her idol properly. Victoria, you know, has a little bit of a buzz as this sort of under the radar stealth assassin. Do either of them get votes or do we find ourselves right in the same position, even if they're in the final three mix? 
I believe that of that final six, the first three that were voted out, any of them could have beaten Chris in the finals. And maybe I'm believing too, I'm drinking too much of the uh, the exit interview Kool Aid. I believe Ron Clark might have told Rob that Victoria would have beaten basically anybody who was sitting there in that final six. Chris included. And to your point, Eric, the assumption is if one of them is sitting in the end, it means that one of those big moves that Chris did, Chris made in real life didn't happen. And he talked up so much how he had to make a move each and every day to validate his game in the eyes of the jurors. So that would just in theory invalidate his game even more. So yeah, I could see either one of them, you know, being able to challenge Chris at least for a win, at least get even more votes than Gavin even. I honestly think, I totally agree with you. It was just, it was a perfect storm of events over the course of this finale for Chris Underwood. The final one being that he happened to sit next to two people that the jury was pretty underwhelmed with, even though it does seem like you had people like Rick and Kelly really trying to rev up that hype train, shoveling coal into the caboose of Gavin to have him chug over the finish line. Chris put it really succinctly when he told the jury, you know my story. And they did because they spent so much time with him out there and his story was so much more compelling than the other two that it gave him the win at the end of the day. Uh, okay, so I have two I have two thoughts. My first is that, you know, I do edgic throughout the season. And so like F my edgic, right? Because this was just a, a whole mess. Like how on earth are we supposed to predict Chris was the one who was going to come back and win when we like don't know him. Um, but I had probably my winner rankings going into the finale were Devin's if he made it and then Lauren and Victoria were probably the other two. And so the fact that those three went out like one, two, three was really Roll rough than going into that final three because I had absolutely no idea who would have won. But because of that, I, I would agree with Mike and probably say that I think Lauren and Victoria could have probably eked out a win over Chris. But I also just want to say something about the story that was told with Chris coming back. Like, I know that he's out on the edge of extinction. And so you don't almost want to tip your hand to paying attention solely to Chris out there on the edge. And there's so much other stuff going on. How do you choose what to include? But I just still can't get over the fact that it's someone who I feel like I really don't have a sense of comes back in and wins. It's just so unsettling from a narrative perspective. And that is also what's really throwing me off about this finale. And we've also go ahead. I'm just, uh, you know, hearing Chris's story, they make it out like it's this heart wrenching tearjerker of a story that's so relatable. It's the story of a well off, slick, polished, 25 year old athletic white dude who got eliminated from the game third, did absolutely nothing, came back and bamboozled a 21 year old. And then like, it's not like, oh man, his survivor story. This Even this notion of the perfect game, who cares that Chris wanted to play a perfect game? Good for him. I'm sure he pitched a perfect game in high school baseball at some point. You know, it's just like I, I'm, I'm not seeing the connection. So the jury all there acting as if Chris has, you know, telling a tale as old as time. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, what are you talking about? This is not relatable. This is not rootable in any way. And I think that's one of the biggest problems. If it was someone who came back from the edge and had this type of run who you could really pull for for some reason but but chris is is not that guy you know so i can't imagine people sitting on their couch being like man i've been clamoring for the return of chris well he's finally gonna get to play that perfect game you to know? be completely honest i think they were claiming for a certain part of chris to return which is also ridiculous this is the man we've been making penis jokes about the entire season and he is now a survivor winner 
That's just ridiculous to say. Uh, but to your point, Eric, I don't know. I feel like that Chris Underwood story is total Oscar bait. I cannot wait to see if someone options that. To the point about the storytelling, I mean, Survivor has done this a bit before. It's, it's a bit of a distant cousin to it in that occasionally they'll do seasons that don't necessarily highlight why X won to use some David Bloomberg parlance, but more so why blank lost. Uh, you know, we saw that back with Boston Rob and All Stars, with Russell and Samoa. You could argue with Russell and Poverty and Heroes versus Villains. Uh, some have argued that the Michelle Corong edit was sort of reminiscent of that. This was sort of related to that, though I guess it would less so be about how Gavin and Julie lost and more so how Devin's lost. And maybe they felt like because he was playing the more bombastic out there game, they really wanted to make this big arc for him and similar and similarly uh you know really put gavin and julie in an under the radar position so that when they did get there people weren't necessarily inherently rooting for them because they're like who are they what did they do so i guess it's like a version of that but i felt like it still led to an unsatisfying ending no matter what and i think josh made a good point during the wiggle room of like maybe if you had hour and a half maybe even two hour episodes you could have included more edge of extinction stuff where we see more about chris making these social bonds so we're shown it instead of him telling it in the final tribal council when aubrey sort of pulls it out of him because that yeah that was the problem is that when he spent time out of the game there were points when the show didn't even show edge of extinction some weeks so it was tough to really say who's winning this if they're coming from the edge of extinction because they're not going to be shown in each and every episode which is just mind-boggling for those that believe in the edge of it all i know how <sighs> devin's lost devin's lost by going out fifth in the game, that's how he <laughs> lost. So I don't actually need to hear that story for the rest of the season either, but that's neither here nor there. And also, as has been covered ad nauseum, if you were going to do this as the twist of the season, then you most certainly didn't need the four returning players. Yes, we know it's a mechanism designed to protect their screen time and we're going to get them all season long in their quips and their good looks and, and everything you want to see from them. But the thing is, I didn't want to see this from them. And then they were serving too many masters trying to give them screen time. I don't know why in the finale they're talking about Joe playing again. Who would ever possibly want to see Joe play this game again? Whoever wanted to see him play a second or a third time? He does absolutely nothing that I want to see on my TV screen. And instead, we had to hear these stories play out that ultimately had little to nothing to do with the season, which took us away from getting to know people on the edge or even people in the game that we would have wanted to. But really, it's all for naught anyway, because all of the returners and the two most pivotal people in the season in Chris and Rick, they were all out before the midway point, basically. So, I mean, the whole thing is just uh, a, a complete fiasco, in my opinion. But that, that being said, I'm as agitated as I seem. I'm not mad at it. I, I kind of just enjoyed that it went off the rails. This was this was a train wreck of of epic proportions, you know. And uh, yes, the, it gives us plenty to chew over and analyze. And the the gamer nerds in us do not like this. It's not fair, but it was interesting. It was unique. It was entertaining. <laughs> And it certainly gives us a lot to talk about. And if that's what you're trying to do, make polarizing, entertaining, insane TV. I mean, this finale definitely accomplished that. Uh, I I guess like it definitely feels with the whole returning players thrown into the mix. It's like they shot themselves in the foot twice because it's like now you <laughs> no, have, they have to no cater. Feet. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. How are they going to get back in the game? Um, yeah. I, because you're trying to, to cater to the, editing the, the returning players, you know, you got to cover Jeff talking to Joe about promising to come back until he wins and cutting his hair off, which, okay. Thanks for including that in the finale. Uh, yeah, and I was going to say just real quickly, I think we knew that we were in for a very odd season finale when after the first segment, Jeff brings Joe out and he ends the same way by saying, you know what you got to do? You got to cut your hair right now on stage. Yeah, it's like, what? I know finales are a little interesting. You know, I know Rob has that podcast from a couple of years ago about the weirdest finale moments. I feel like you could put so many moments from this finale could just supplant maybe half of that list between like that. Devin's getting the Sia money. And one of my favorite things, love or hate Devin's. It was pure comedy how when he got rewarded the Sia money, I don't know if you guys noticed this, it cut to a stern reacted audience that did not clap at once in reaction to the news. It was like fantastically ironic. <laughs> That's awesome. And I think also uh, the when Devin's was came out for his interview and then Jeff asked him if he wants to move job markets, like if he'd be open to doing a morning show like Jeff, stop trying to make your talk show happen. It's not going to happen. Oh, for God's sakes. Also, I do not. I do not want Cochrane or David Wright writing my TV shows ever. I do not want this. And it certainly is not enticing me to go and watch the show now. I mean, what what happened? What sort of overall deal did Cochrane strike with the network? Was it the success of uh, where the Millers or whatever the hell that show was? The Miller, whatever the heck that was that he wrote on that that made them think, oh, yes, he should now write for 17 more of our shows. And not for nothing. Joe also should have held out for a lot more money than he got for his haircut because that did not land. I well, mean, he literally looks like Ozzy in disguise. Well, Eric, who looked worse getting a radical haircut before a big moment, Joe or Victor during his proposal to Nicole during Big Brother 20? Yeah, it's very reminiscent. At least Joe is still recognizable, though. So, <laughs> Exactly. Well, we, I forgot about that. Wait, can we talk about Gavin's haircut also in the finale? Oh my god, his little, oh. I, love, I love his Michael Sarah look. It was, a, it it was, was fantastic. Lego. It's a yeah. Lego helmet, you know, they just glued it right on. That was so brutal. I was like, oh, Gavin didn't win because he can't afford a good haircut. That's, <laughs> well, why that's, this an, is what that's we're another thing. They should not have allowed Chris to come out in, uh, you know, looking like uh, Dapper Dan out there. It immediately tipped the hand that he was the person coming back, considering everyone else was dressed like hobos. So, I mean, <laughs> just uh, they really uh, I, they should have. You know, they they worked so hard to not tip who was going to return. And then the second that you you cut to the people from the edge, it's like, oh, I guess Chris is coming back. You know? no, do, do not knock Lauren's pink dress. I thought she looked stunning in the finale. Yeah, but she was there like of the, oh, the people true. that were going to come back. Yeah. You know, you got Joe who's now missing half his hair. And uh, yeah. And then Chris looking super dapper. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anything else that were like awkward moments. Well, we, we, <laughs> we've got a lot to get into. So I'm sure awkward moments will come up as they did over the course of the three hours. because we've, we've got a lot to get into. And let's start with something big and weighty. Let's talk about these preseason predictions for the, <laughs> the remaining. I guess I'll say we'll do the remaining five players. I think Leon and I already talked about Rick beforehand, and I feel like we don't want to necessarily retread that territory. I guess starting with the Edge of Extinction stuff, Liana, do you remember who you had as your Edge of Extinction returnees? I know we talked a bit about how I guess I think we both thought that War Dog. You, well, no, I remember you thought that War Dog was going to Aussie it, right? You thought he was going to be the double returnee from Edge of Extinction. Yeah, I thought War Dog was going to come back twice. <laughs> so he's going to get voted out pre-jury, then come back at the merge, then get voted out again, then come back again. 
<laughs> because it's a crazy twist. Like, why wouldn't War Dog be the one to do that? Of course. Yeah, absolutely. we're close. I know. <laughs> yeah, I was. I'm trying to remember. Maybe when I go through these, like, I know that War Dog was the second one. I can't remember who the first one was. Uh, so I guess I'll figure it out. It was one of these pre-jury people. But uh, you know, we'll we'll figure out exactly what's going on as we talk through these all. And Eric, as per usual, you're going to be the one who decides how off the mark we are with what happened with the reality. Which, considering what reality was, we're automatically off the mark. So I guess it's just who's closest to being on the map slightly. Let's start with Miss Victoria here. Liana, how did you think Victoria would do preseason? Okay, I had Victoria making the merge. uh, And I said that Victoria was playing a strong game up until this point. It was in a safe position in the Women's Alliance. And the women were taking out all the men, but no more. It's time for a fluke slash abnormal vote. And Victoria was the victim. Rick, Keith, and Eric come together to target the Women's Alliance. The women try to split the votes between Eric and Rick. But then something crazy happens with like a bunch of exclamation points. And Victoria goes home as a threat to win the game. <laughs> I, love I don't the, even know what that means. That was like, I don't know. Something crazy happens. Fill it in later. Yeah, I love the placeholder test of like, Liana, just put something in here later. I'm sure you could come up with a crazy survivor event. <laughs> yeah. A dodo crazy. bird comes back from extinction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, you're pretty much pretty close to being accurate yeah the thing is that mike has gamed the system and i don't even i i'm i will wait out his answer before i give my determination but he bullet points in a vague manner you're giving too much detail that's the problem because you were basically correct until you got to keith and eric (laughs) that's the problem if you had just said the gentleman's alliance that would have been you know relatively palatable it's the fact that you were uh you know so off but i you are well known for your great late game alliances, such as the uh, Patrick Bolton alliance, for example, you know. So, um, you know, I- I'm going to take it into consideration once I hear Mike's. Yeah, I would say uh, don't put the chickens in front before you slaughter them or save them and try to get to your money. Because uh, I had Victoria going pre-merge here. I said that she would get in hot water for flirting with too many guys. I said she'd be coined the pre-merge Rob G. Otis after getting swapped, screwed, and deemed the weakest of those in the minority. I said her bubbliness and copious research will make her a surprising scrapper on Extinction Island. I don't think any of that came true. So, uh, yeah, I think, Liana, even though you went super specific by the end, I think Eric, Keith, and Rick got you this one. For all I know, Keith and Eric were out there. I don't know who came back, who didn't. Like the dodo bird that is Keith, <laughs> raising you know, the sail, flying yeah. over. I don't know. Speaking of uh, of of Eric, real quick, I just could you imagine being one of the people who did spend all this time out on the edge, and you just get out to this challenge and see that it's just like an obviously physical challenge, and you have like these stallions in Chris and Eric and Joe just like running laps around people. I mean, how demoralizing is that? It's like I've been waiting for this very moment. You literally would just show up at the course and be like, "Nope, not going to happen." Yeah, <laughs> I feel sucks. I feel kind of bad for War Dog and Ron because they immediately fell out of the challenge, like. Minute one, they were pretty much stuck in those ropes. And it's like, I mean, honestly, we weren't expecting much, even though our preseason predictions might say otherwise, particularly with War Dog. But yeah, I could say, especially with a field as wide as 11 people, you have to imagine that that's one of the reasons why I feel like Keith and Wendy raised that sail at the end of the day. They sort of looked to their left and to their right and said, yeah, I'm not going to beat these guys. Like, I might as well leave here, which actually maybe let's put another uh, pin here in an awkward moment in the reunion. The fact that for the reading of the votes, because of the Edge of Extinction, literally all of the cast except Keith and Wendy were out there. 
uh, which I thought was just a weird thing to think about. Where were they? Were they even on stage or were they like out next to Cochran? Yeah, maybe they were just sitting next to Cochran, uh, just sort of getting <laughs> notes for the new Star Trek, assuming that they're writer's assistants. Yeah, well, they got brought out eventually for the reunion. And when you got a question, uh, Keith did not. I, I'm, I would be I would not have been surprised if Jeff just randomly shot to him like, hey, do you know how to swim? Great. All right. Moving on. But they right. basically hung out backstage until they got their cue to sit back in their seats for the you know very shortened reunion. Keith, how was it plotting Victoria's demise post-merge? Tell us all about it. <laughs> yeah, I have a question from L. Boris uh, about that, so I guess we'll throw it out there. Uh, so it was a crazy thing that happened, you guys. <laughs> all right, let's move on to Miss Lauren O'Connell here. I'll start with this one, because I had Lauren making the jury. I said that she'll become the narrator of the season. I said, though a part of War Dog's majority alliance on Manu will work closely with Kelly behind the scenes. She'll prove her athletic prowess when she tears through someone during a physical challenge. And I said she'll get voted out soon after the merge for being considered a challenge threat and the glue of her alliance. Then she would, of course, go on to lose to War Dog in the Edge of Extinction Challenge. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Right. Okay. Um, so I had Lauren as a losing finalist. Mm. And I said that overall, Lauren played a really solid game. But sadly, she was perceived as always being in Kelly Wentworth's shadow. While Joe may have taught the jury to appreciate riding horses, the jury did not appreciate riding coattails. And Lauren only got a few votes to win. She's a pretty good sport about losing because she loves people, Jesus and red vines. <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun to like see what I picked out from their bios is important and apparently Jesus and Red Vines are the two things I, I associated with Lauren Jesus and Red Vines sounds like the name of a country album yeah she uh, prays at the licorice altar that's uh, that, that's probably the upcoming season 41 twist <laughs> Red Vine Island amen uh Boy, you know, you both did actually a pretty stellar job here both pinned down the Kelly interactions uh, you were both in the relatively correct uh part of the game and how it unfolded for her uh boy i i think that they were surprisingly stellar but uh i'm gonna actually um i'm gonna veer towards mike here and the reason being that i really enjoyed the part uh about war dog once again <laughs> defeating her in the challenge i feel as if you know as one does in that situation everyone gets defeated by war dog coming back from the edge so uh i feel like it was that little detail that just you know, took a really close one and put it over the top. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that War Dog, by the way, got a third person reference in the finale. It was a jam packed finale, but in the in the uh, final tribal council, when they were Julie was sort of, and we'll talk about Julie very soon about her sort of hyping up her big move as you know throwing Julia's name out there in that crazy I'm jumping ship vote, and War Dog basically said, "So what you're telling me is that you threw out a name and you were waiting for a War Dog to come around and take a bite out of it and get rid of somebody." Yeah, you know, talk about like pigeonholing your thing. Like, okay, War Dog, sit down. Though so Jeff did, you know, when he went down sort of down the line of people, he's like, hey, War Dog, you're one of the most unconventional players ever, which should be interesting. I wonder if that uh, garners some sort of appearance from War Dog in a future season. It'll be interesting to see if and when people do reappear from this season, who it's going to be, just considering the way the storytelling went. But who knows? Maybe we'll see War Dog. Maybe War Dog will, uh, you know, get into training. He'll go to uh, David's puzzle boot camp. After Survivor. First of all, he was exactly like Joe Mena, almost to a T, identically. So he certainly wasn't all that unconventional. And second of all, I, I could do without seeing literally a single person from this cast ever again. I, I, when you think about David versus Goliath and you have 
Natalie and you have Christian and Gabby and John Hennigan and Angelina. So many people I would enjoy seeing play this game again. Does anyone from this cast, you know, hold a candle to that? I know Devin's is going to be out there. I'm sure he'll be fine. I'm sure he'll be entertaining. I'm not clamoring for it, though. And everybody else, I think that they should be uh, retired. I I read that after our upcoming seasons without, uh, you know, sharing any spoilers, that there will actually only be two seasons left that have not returned a first time player and that's Caramoan and the edge of extinction. And I'm curious if edge of extinction may ride off into the sunset, uh, in the same manner and, and never return anyone. Hmm. I mean, not with Rick, that's for sure. Like I think Rick for, is definitely going to come back. What about Reem though, Eric, would you want to see Reem back? Dude, I'd love <laughs> to see Reem back. I really would. Yeah, I, I would. But I think that that may be closer to fan fiction. You know, just True. like we've been waiting for that first boot and pre-merge, uh, you know, season all our lives. It might be an exception here because she did get some screen time. I, I got to be honest. Um, I think that the fantasy of Reem coming back might be better than the actuality. Um, but but uh, I would be I would be delighted with it nonetheless. Didn't we get our pre-merge boot season this season, considering who won? Oh, the pre, pre-merge boot winner season. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, which is why I know there were some statements posted about this, that this really did feel like a brand steel simulation come to life with just how random everything went. And now it all now it all makes sense. <laughs> that's right it was actually just brand steel the whole time <laughs> well, oh, man, what if on brand steel you can actually uh use the edge of extinction mechanism in the future that'll be really exciting when people come back that that's whew. well they said that this was a murder mystery season according to jeff so it's like a scooby-doo let's see who you really are and you pull off the mask and it's brand steel the entire time he could have oh just left God. it at a murder of a season <laughs> no mystery <laughs> That's right. Well, let's move on to Julie, one of our losing finalists here. Liana, how did you think Julie was going to do preseason? Okay, I actually had Julie in the finale. Oh. Um, so I said, Julie played a solid game throughout the season. She didn't annoy anyone, found herself in a strong alliance, the praying mantises, and was a pro at peeing in the bushes. Unfortunately, her lack of fire-making skills came back to bite her in the butt when she lost to Lauren in the final four fire-making challenge. Womp, womp. Um, and then I wrote, note, War Goat would have taken her to final three, but he confused Julie with Julia. Oh, yes, I remember that, Ross, <laughs> yeah. at the altar moment that you wrote for that. <laughs> yeah, that was a bit of a hot mess. But yeah, <laughs> that's what we got, people. So I had Julie making the jury, and she was actually my first returnee from the Edge of Extinction. Uh, I said that she'll start the season with a hashtag survivor breakdown about how tr- truly tough the elements are, which gets her voted off and compounds her emotions. She'll rely on the survival skills of others, uh, which makes her surprisingly able to win the pre-merge challenge and come back into the game where she blends into the background by serving as a nice, loyal ally. But she'll get voted out again right before the family visit, which breaks the heart of Survivor social media and I'm assuming Ron Clark as well. And when she gets to Extinction Island, she decides, no more, I'm not going to do it again. And she decides to leave just feeling too emotionally drained. Hmm. Well, she did have a big advantage in the game as a well-known bush peer. I mean, she is very comfortable out in the elements, um, but I am going to give this to Liana. And the main reason is because I'm trying to read the votes like Jeff would. So I'm actually just rotating <laughs> between the two of you to add excitement moving forward. Mm, that makes sense, because these are all just hot messes. 
Like, yeah, of course, Julie came back much like Keith was there for the infamous Victoria vote out. I mean, not for nothing. She was in the finale. So uh, I I, I think I think you you nailed the essence of what her game would be about. So so I point to use. All right. Appreciate that. Let's move on to our runner up here in Gavin. And if you are all doing the math at home, which I'm assuming that you're not, maybe with the exception of War Dog, Gavin Whitson was my winner pick. For Survivor Edge of Extinction. I'll admit, about halfway through the season, I was like, this is not happening. This, oh, this is definitely not happening. He's, he's doing a pretty good job of staying in the game, but nowhere is this a winning edit. And then we got to the final tribal council, and especially the arguments he was giving, and as the votes were coming in, I'm like, D- is this actually happening? It did not, but I will say it got a lot closer than I ever thought my winner pick would have gotten if you asked me like seven weeks ago. Uh, I said that Gavin would become tight with Joe, their calm personalities and faith being a big bonding point. Uh, Joe's elimination leaves him in the minority, but he plays up his helplessness to become a key number to the others. I said his new wife nearly blows his cover at the family visit, though I guess in reality he blew his own cover there. In the final tribal council, he talks up his heart for the game and underdog story. When he wins, he replies, I'm going to Disney World. And he'll win the award for biggest change in clothing hue with his yellow pineapple shirt, the Dr. Mike Award for how dirty can the shirt get? I just, I, what was that? I'm going to Disney World? Yeah, I guess. Oh, I, I, I feel like he said they wanted to go for like a honeymoon to Disney, but that is very eerie considering that, like, didn't him and a bunch of the Edge contestants go to Disneyland like the day after the finale? Yeah, I thought I saw a picture with him and Devin's out there at like on at disneyland so oh you know what it is it's that he's really big into disney stuff like i remember some of the patrons were saying that you know they saw him in a couple like their disney world fan groups he put one of his hobbies in his bio as going to disney world so this was not pulled out of my ass this was based in some sort of stated fact (laughs) okay okay that makes sense i also have some gavin facts in here that i clearly pulled from his bio that i don't remember at all um but kudos to you mike i did not think that gavin was going to do as well i actually had him going pre-jury um and i wrote that comma finally loses an immunity challenge and the new love tribe is scrambling the women decided that they need eric ron and joe for strength which left gavin all by himself while he didn't really do anything wrong maybe gavin should have spent more time working out and less time playing Fortnite. Uh, Gavin is sent to Immunity (laughs) Island where he can rethink his life based on his hobbies. And then in parentheses, I wrote, Reem will encourage neighborhood security as a new hobby. (laughs) I I have no idea what that is from. What's the Fortnite reference to? Also, no idea. I assume from his bio, he must have talked about hobbies and playing Fortnite because that's what makes sense to me based on this. I Maybe Reem was into neighborhood security. Honestly, no idea. Between Fortnite and his love of Disney, what was he actually twelve years old or or or, or seven? I'm so not, maybe maybe that's why the jury didn't vote for him. They're like, we are not voting for an underage contestant. You know, if you're not Michael Yerger, we're not voting for a teenager to win this game. Well, uh, uh, fantastically, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, we saw his haircut. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> That's right. He just uh, his mom put a bowl over the top and just <laughs> crimped around it. Exactly. This is perfect. Well, thankfully, uh, I don't even need to, um, 
you know, uh, play favorites here. Mike, you uh, definitely have earned that point, which means Liana has two. Mike has two. There's going to be fried chicken. We've got mountains <laughs> of pizza. We're going into the final decisions here. This is getting very exciting, guys. You guys each have two points each. I'm, I'm just. Whew. Well, the problem is that's all the people we have. So, well, I guess it's going to be the first ever season to end in a tie since we make up new rules now. Where's our Laurel? Um, yeah, I so I do want to say for Rick, I said that on the edge of extinction, because I said that he would be voted out and he would stay. He started his own news show in the mornings called Cup of Joe, where he interviewed Joe every day about Joe things or whatever, because it's Joe's Island. That 100 so. percent happens I, mm-hmm. without question. Do you think Rick would have convinced Joe to cut his hair out on the edge of extinction? Uh, I can see that definitely being one of those morning segments. It's like, okay, and they like have the shears ready and then you kind of have to pressure them into it because they're on live television and it's in the morning and it's for charity. I can see it. You know what? When you think about that as the type of entertainment that they probably legitimately did have out on the edge, it's no wonder that more people didn't pull the flag, actually. I mean, seriously, (laughs) sounds like torture. Well, yeah. I'm just sorry. Now I'm picturing them putting on this whole repertoire of things like this is the puppet show, you know, like David writes out there making like shadow puppets by the fire. Of course. Wow. So entertaining. What was going on with David Wright this whole season? Like, I don't understand this narrative he was trying to drive home of how he was such a pathetic sad sack. But now he's had an awakening because he has he's a 44 year old man with a girlfriend. What 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 sort of an accomplishment is this? And not for nothing. I like David. I like the way he plays. I think I would get along great with him in real life. I just didn't understand the narrative he chose for himself. It's like he was trying to be self-deprecating but it didn't land and it actually just seemed legitimately strange or 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 somewhat sad to me i i just don't i don't i don't know what he was going for like if that was his his story at the end to the jury it's like hey guys i finally got a girlfriend and here i am it's like what where are you going with this i just didn't understand do you think that would have been david's big reveal if he made the end like you know jeremy and adam had their own very you know a heart-wrenching family moments they would have been like guys i have a girlfriend i just wanted you to know that maybe this money will go to her right 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 that's how he pulls all the votes in so yeah but uh david's girlfriend goes to another school so you don't know her she's from canada even though she can she can apply to be on survivor next season uh but yeah it's it's david's narrative and for a writer it is very strange to your point eric just the path that he went along because it started with him being so like he was all about the anti-Kelly stuff, but then that turned away and he became more about the narrative-based things with the pilot versus passenger stuff. Jeff even pointed that out at the reunion. David's edit was simultaneously like a relapse to David 1.0, but a maturation into David 2.0, where he's like, I would have I would have totally done this if this was my first time playing, but I'm not going to. But he's still making these mistakes as if it was right. the and first he did time around the first time also. So, right. So the, he's he matured into a worse player, <laughs> I, I guess. Oh, boy. We're going to take a quick break from the fun and games to talk about one of our sponsors for the RHAP B&B. And that is Poshmark. Liana, I know you talked a bit about Poshmark last week, so I'm going to hand the mic back over to you to talk about all the virtues that Poshmark entails. 
Oh my gosh. Yes. So super excited. Um, I talked about this last week, but I'm going to talk about it again because it is definitely bears repeating. So uh, Poshmark is this really great app. It's free and you can easily clean out your closet, sell items for cash, and you can also buy items to get new clothes for the spring. And, uh, you know, Eric didn't get his new outfit together, obviously. Don't be an Eric. Don't be a homeless man. So definitely you want to go and download the app. That's Poshmark. And then use my referral code Survivor Podcast. That's one word, Survivor Podcast. And you'll get $5 off your first purchase. So what is super great about about, um, Poshmark is the fact that you can get so many different brands for like 70% off. So like Nike, Louis Vuitton, Lululemon, anything that you want on there is 70% off. They have lightly used or brand new items as well. So it's not like all consignment stuff. Uh, And you can buy all of these items to use for your next vacation or your next event. And the app is just really easy to use. If you just go and download the app, create your account um, using referral code Survivor Podcast, get $5 off your first purchase. You can get um, all of these really great items. And in addition to buying items, you can also sell your clothes. Like I know I have a ton of un used items i really need to get rid of it was so freaking humid today mm-hmm. in new haven like i was dying and it reminded me that i definitely need to get rid of some of my clothes so just add items um it's so easy you just have to snap a few pictures that you're selling add some details and then boom they're up there and people can buy things from your poshmark closet and the shipping is just really easy because essentially you just get like a um like they just give you the shop the shipping order like it's super easy you just print it and then you just tape it um to your box send off your item um drop it at the post office schedule a pickup again super easy so just go and download the app and when you're signing up for your account be sure to use the invite code survivor podcast to get five dollars off your first purchase that's invite code survivor podcast we have poshmark the app that's so easy to use even coming back from the edge of extinction after 35 days you can do it super easily right liana (laughs) yeah exactly um it's even if you go out of the game for 29 days you can still come back get new items make your sales it's just really easy to use you know like come on god just get a poshmark app download it check it out super fun that again is uh, is promo code Survivor Podcast all one word for five dollars off for your first purchase? With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
Well, let's let's move on here. Liana, I know you have, since we have a Big Brother base guest on here, I know you have a Big Brother style game to help close out the season. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm really excited about this. So, uh, like I said at the beginning, we're not going to do a casuals corner, but I do have one thing I want to say before we move into my game. Um, So, uh, Henry from Twitter sent this to me. This was not his tweet. This was a different tweet. Uh, But it says, I just want to read it. Glad Chris won. I did more at home watching than Garvin did in the game. (laughs) Hashtag Survivor Finale. So I'm just really happy that Garvin got his screen time. Garvin sounds like an (laughs) off-brand trash bag manufacturer. (laughs) Yeah, I gotta go pick up some Garvins from the store. (laughs) No, what? Or like uh, rain galoshes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, this is my knockoff Garvin. (laughs) I picked it up on the street corner. Um, Okay, all right. So, Garvin aside, uh, okay, so the game that I brought is What the Bleep. So, I have pulled clips from the Survivor finale and have bleeped out a particular word. So, the way this is going to work, Mike is, has the clips, so he'll play them. And then this is going to be a honor system where I will read two words and then you will pick between the words. So, it's like an A or B kind of type game. Okay, so uh, yeah, that's how it's going to work. And, and I, I'm really excited. And I guess for the I'm uninitiated thrilled. who are not in on the, the Big oh, Brother yeah. scene, uh, Liana, what exactly is the concept of What the Bleep? Okay, so essentially the way that What the Bleep works is you take an innocuous phrase that might be said on the TV show, and then by bleeping out a particular word, hmm, you maybe instill a new meaning into the phrase if you let your mind be creative and uh, fill in with, uh, you know, the first thing that pops into your head. Um, So that's what's really fun about this. It's been done on Big Brother, I think, since 16 was the first season to do it. Um, And uh, I'm excited to do it here. All right, let's get into it. Okay, I'm ready for clip one. All right. Today, you each have one goal, and it is the same. Everybody else. (laughs) Easy. That's easy. (laughs) Okay, so was the word A, defeat, or B, vanquish? So we're going to go on the honor system here. A, defeat, or B, vanquish? Okay, Mike, we'll start with you. What answer did you put? Not that I don't trust Jeff to throw in $2 words, especially when it is of the gladiatorial variety, but I'm going to keep it simple here and go with a defeat. Okay, Eric, what did you say? Uh, Well, first of all, I definitely think my first instinct was definitely F. So therefore, I uh, am glad that that was not an option. And I am uh, going with vanquish. Okay, the correct word was defeat. I don't actually have the full clip, so sorry we can't play that um, because I forgot halfway through and I was not going to go back and pull the real clips. So mm-hmm. sorry about that. Uh, it, it, would be, it would be very one. interesting, though, if if Eric's first answer came true and it was F because I could just imagine this is a very weird image. But if the goal is to F everyone else and everyone else has the same goal, is everyone just trying to like touch one another like trying to avoid other people while trying to go for other people like that one game you play of like you have one person you have to avoid and one person you have to constantly stay near and it just ends with everyone running around each other en masse 
This sounds yeah, like a pay-per-view I saw in a hotel once. <laughs> I was going to say, this is like the weirdest orgy I've ever heard of. Uh, I guess like if you come first, does that mean you're out? Or like, does that mean you win? I, I'm not entirely sure. Mm, good question. Good question. I guess it depends on what we value in lovers on Survivor. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah, all the meaning to the loved ones, busy. <laughs> oh man or like when terry deets and his wife uh shared uh shared that room okay <laughs> clip number two mike you can work this any way you want you can crawl on it you can get on your butt you can lay flat out <laughs> okay sorry i have like a lot of fun pulling these clips okay was the word a rope obstacle or B, rope bridge. Ooh. Oh. Something with the ropes. I feel like Jeff is uh, writing the Kama Sutra here, emphasis on Kama, with all the methods that he can use this rope with. Yeah, and this orgy is getting real interesting with all the ropes. <laughs> okay, Eric, we'll start with you. Did you pick A or B? I'm going to go with, uh, since my first choice, Stripper, was not there, I'm going to go with rope mm, obstacle. Okay, and Mike? I'm going to go with rope bridge just because I remember that phrase being stuck in my head because it's a very weird thing to just think about in general. A, a bridge, not just with ropes on the side of it, but completely made out of ropes. So rope bridge is correct. Although, Eric, to your credit, he did say obstacle earlier. So that was where I got the idea from. So that's totally understandable. I will say that I am at a, uh, a strong disadvantage in this game because the edge returnee competition I had to actually watch on mute. So <laughs> it's re re really no wonder that I don't know the answers to this. Yeah, we've just been one long sustained bleep. And that's Eric's viewing experience of this challenge. <laughs> that's right. But but uh, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying my best, I'm trying my best. That's okay. The the real winners here are the clips. So, <laughs> you know, we're just we're powering through. Okay. It's right. <laughs> Mike, clip three. Joe, every so often, players come along that really, especially with kids. Oh, oh Lord. Oh, come on, God. Uh, oh, come on. Come on, God. Okay. Is the word A, stand out, or B, connect? Ooh. Okay. Stand out or connect? <laughs> Both Might. of them are horrible. Well, <laughs> we'll start with you. Uh, all right, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with standout because connect seems less dirty, and even as anti Jeff Probst as that is, I, I feel like it's more wholesome for someone like Joe. Okay, Eric, what do you think? I, I'm keeping the streak alive. I'm going with connect. I, I'm if I'm gonna get my points back in this game, I need to go opposite of Mike. Although I did, in all fairness, on the honor system, I was choosing connect before I heard his answer. Well, that was a connection, Eric. That is correct. Connect was the word that Jeff Probe said. They really connect, especially with kids. <laughs> all right, Cliff. Has it, has it has a kid ever expressed liking <laughs> Joe on Survivor? Like, where did this come from? This is a David Wright style narrative here. Oh, where, where, in where in Probst's mind does he think kids are walking around looking up to Joe? This never happened. This is not Rupert, who was basically a cartoon character. I mean, Joe's just a, there's been a Joe on every single season of the show. What, what, what's his infatuation with him? I like to think that this is on Jeff Probst's dream board, and then he just sort of manifested it. Through just saying it so many times, like yeah, his, of course kids love Joe. His dream board or his dreams board? <laughs> That's right. Dreams is a board. Watch out for your car. <laughs> exactly, it's in the back seat of his car. 
<gasps> okay. Clip four. It's been a long time, and he's had a lot of time to think about the game, and I'm the only person who really f***ed him in this game, and I'm sure he hasn't forgotten that. Hmm. Is, the, is the word A, betray, or B, backstab? Ooh. A, betray, or B, backstab? Okay, Eric, we'll start with you. I'm going to go with betrayed, but I think I'm wrong. So I'm going to take that back and go with backstabbed. <laughs> okay. And Mike? I'm going to go with Eric's first instinct and say betray. So technically, both of you are correct <laughs> uh, because it was betray and backstab, and I couldn't figure out a way to do it where, anyway, it was just really funny when you took them both out. So. <laughs> That was why that's in there. Wow, so uh, monogamous of Chris and Rick to be the only ones to betray and backstab each other. I know, truly the love story we all deserve. That was another thing as well. Like another awkward moment number like seventeen was the only question Jeff asked of the winner. Chris was, "I gotta talk to you about what you did with Devins. Do you feel guilty about it?" <laughs> that also could have been a clip. Maybe I should have pulled that from the reunion. Um, well, I think obviously this season just was the Devons show. So, you know, anything it was how many degrees of separation from Devons. And so everything had to be at least within like one or two. I mean, even like Wendy's whole thing was the sea of money and then Devons <laughs> ended up getting the sea of money. So, OK, clip five. I didn't win the immunity challenge, and it sucks. But why the heck was Chris Julie? You're supposed to be being loyal to me, and we're working together, and that blew my mind. I'm now realizing that these clips are just the narrative of the Devon's um, Chris love story <laughs> that is apparently occurring. <laughs> there were some hurt feelings on that one, for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, maybe some betrayal and backstabbing the other way. Uh, okay. <laughs> Was the word A, helping, or B, assisting? Hmm. Helping or assisting? Mike, what do you got? I'm going to go with helping. Eric? I make it two for two. I'm helping also. That is correct. I liked it because I thought it could have been humping, and <laughs> that was why I chose it. Perfectly legitimate question as well. Why was Chris humping Julie? exactly and during the immunity challenge also i feel like i mean come on guys focus this is a, that was a weird challenge by the way like i think it's appropriate for rick to point it out that you had the the three being like come on come on julie you could do it just i guess to beat devin's at all costs but chris was literally being like yeah i mean you so you want to adjust your left hand down and then just shuffle the puzzle piece and like were they all just waiting for the challenge to be over so they hope julie could pick them for the stake reward yeah, I guess so. I didn't quite understand that, why he was giving such detailed instructions. That's jury management for you, I guess. That's right. He just has such a good social game. All right, clip number six. And that relationship is going to get us to the end. If it's not me who gets to the end, I will f and f for Rick Devils. 
Yep, sticking on that train. All right, so if we're running the narrative here of the Devons-Chris relationship, now I think that Chris is sort of like the embattered prostitute working for the pimp that is Rick Devons. You know, he's providing him with some bling in the form of the idol, and so Chris is really affirming his loyalty to the man that's given him a job. You know, in the Fire Festival documentary, the guy who's forced to, uh, you know, contemplate providing sexual favors in exchange for water bottles. I feel like that's what the scenario we're setting up here is like, hey, listen, if I have to, I'm, I'm going to be forced to, you know, do what it takes for Devin's here to make it happen. I appreciate all fire festival references. So that's much appreciated. Um, but uh, yeah, I can definitely see that being the situation. There's something coerced going on here. I'm not entirely sure what form it's taking, but uh, I don't know. It makes me a little uncomfortable. Um, okay. Can you play that clip again, Mike? And that relationship is going to get us to the end if it's not me who gets to the end, I will f- and f- for Rick Devins. <laughs> All right. Were the words push and work or fight and die? Mm. So push and work or fight and die? I guess I'm going to go with uh, fight and die, although I don't know why he'd feel that passionately about the situation. Uh, that seems like an over-exaggeration, but, but uh, that's my answer. Eric, they are in love. So I took the most impassioned set of words, which was indeed fight or die. It's very uh, genius-like language. You are both correct. Yes, I will fight and die for Rick Devins. Wow. Wow. This is this is going to be a big scene in the uh, Chris Underwood film starring Matt LeBlanc. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited for him to chug milk. I I just really think this is going to be a good movie. Well, who's going to play Rick Devins? Then I'm trying to think like who would be a good analog for Rick Devins. Mm, The Kool Aid Man. He's probably out of work, right? I haven't seen any Kool Aid commercials recently. Uh, All right, clip number seven. But then I think Chris kind of jumped into what he considered to be his role. He said, I have a lot of and, you know, I'm here if you want it. So someone else stepping into the story of the prostitute that is Chris. Um, All right. So was the word there A, information or B, strengths? Information or strengths? Mike, we'll start with you. I'm going to go with information just because the word information was mentioned so many times when talking about Chris's advantage. Uh, It's not as sexy as strengths, but I guess if we're going for a more platonic relationship between Chris and Laura, more of like in Pretty Woman when Jason Alexander tries to proposition proposition Julia Roberts when she really is in love with Richard Gere, I'll, I'll go with the more sterile choice. <laughs> Maybe I, uh, Jason Alexander could play Rick Devins in ooh, her movie that'd adaptation. Be great. <laughs> oh, you know, it had, it had to be a combination of like, because I feel like I feel like Devins is a bit of both George and Kramer. So I feel like if you could boil them down to one person, that would sort of be the one to play Devins. Mm, no Michael Richards in this recreation. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> You're going to get canceled, Mike. This is no good. It's Jason Alexander only. And and perhaps like a, a monkey like in Dunstan Checks In can play someone as well. But uh, I'm definitely going with uh, information as well, although I, I thought for sure the answer was going to be inches. Uh, but I, uh, you know, 
that wasn't an option. So information it is. That's right. He's here if you want it. Uh, you are both correct. Information was the word that was bleeped out. Now, our last question, clip number eight. Hey, vows to my wife that I was going to protect her. I get a once in a lifetime opportunity. And if I don't seize every whenever I have the chance, then I mean, I'm going to go back home and think, what if? Why is there a Borat clip in this game? <laughs> yeah. I don't know where that came from. Uh, and who is Garvin? And why yeah. is he Wow, Garvin really, Garvin really pulling a brand here and becoming, you know, sitting in the Iron Throne at the end of the day. I know. Don't know what he's trying to seize. Uh, so was it A, moment, or B, opportunity? Mm. Moment or opportunity? The thing is, I don't really remember what the question was. So this is going to be challenging. So I'm going to go with, um, let's see, uh, opportunity. I feel like Garvin might not know the word moment, possibly. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll go with opportunity as well. I'm not particularly sure why, but I feel like I like seize the opportunity better than seize the moment. Personally, from a, from an adage perspective. You're both correct. Yes, it was opportunity. He talked about seizing the opportunity. Um, so this is actually a really close game. It was seven to six. You should both be very proud. You've got a lot of these. Um, I actually pulled one more clip as a tiebreaker. So, Mike, could you just play that? Um, just because. I... Winner of Survivor, Edge of Extinction. So my options were going to be Chris or someone who played the full 39 days. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, you definitely played the perfect game here today. I, if only I could have implemented the strategy of sitting out questions two through seven. <laughs> yeah, I should have given the option for that. <laughs> like, Listen, I, I had the information on my side once I came back for question eight. Mm, that's right. Exactly. You had all the notes saying, yeah, these words really need to trust me. <sighs> okay well that was fun i had fun congratulations mike you're the winner of what the bleep <laughs> and it i just really enjoyed putting this together and probably had way more fun doing that um so i'm really happy i did it good job me well i think that the true winners are the future producers of the chris underwood story now that we've given them the narrative of the <laughs> down and broke male prostitute who is able to defeat his overwhelming pimp and rise to his own success that's right Cochrane. who uh i'm sorry we have better storylines going over here so <laughs> for my question this week i actually want to do a mini version of a popular game we do on the bnb buff or snuff because here's the thing we finally got to see the edge of extinction people go to jury in the finale some of their choices need to be discussed so if you go to bit.ly slash buff or snuff 38 you can take a look at what we're looking at, which is the first picture of the jury of Edge of Extinction getting settled in. Now, I'm going to highlight a few people, and we're going to either buff it, give a thumbs up to their wardrobe choice, or snuff it, give a thumbs down. But this was just such a ridiculous choice in clothing and hair, I will say, that I think it garnered a lot of discussion before we closed up the season. Yeah, this was a choice from some of the members uh, of The Edge. You know, we've seen them the entire time living out on the edge of extinction. And now this is when they get to get all cleaned up and come back. And um, some of them made some choices. Well, let's I'm gonna just put my foot down for snuff. 
on just all of them. Perennial <laughs> snuff them having, all. having clicked on this picture, just just gonna just roll with that. But uh, you know, let's go one by one. Is it true? Is it just because they all got their torches snuffed, Eric? You're just going with uh, continuity sake. You know, this reminds me, I heard you uh, podcasting a few weeks back and you referred to a snatch of music and I literally thought you were just making that up. And I was like, boy, you've really gone full bloom here. I mean, this is just now just coining lewd expressions that don't even exist. And I was legitimately shocked to find out that that was a real term. Believe me, uh, Rob was just as surprised as you were that it actually turned out to be a legitimate expression once I actually looked it up after the fact. I googled it after the podcast. I have no idea what that has to do with this game. It just snuff remind me of Snatch, and then I just my mind went. So sorry about that. Anyway, back to the game. Well, wait, what does it mean? It just means it just means like a a portion of a song. Oh, well, okay. Learn something new every day. Let's start with at the beginning a very good place to start to quote a snatch of a tune. Let's start with Reem. So this is crazy. Eric, Reem is wearing this big plaid shirt, not knowing the fact that she would become arguably one of Rob Sestrino's most famous impersonations over his near 10 years of podcasting. Are you buff or snuffing Reem's uh, coincidental choice here? You know what? I take back my words. She has the best look here. She went full Sesterimo. I am buffing this look. She uh, is rocking out the plaid and uh, she looks the only one who looks, uh, well, no, David as well, but she, she's one of the only ones who looks even moderately happy with her selection. A lot of angry, be agitated people here and a smile goes a long way. So I, I'm going to say buff it all the way. Yeah, I would definitely buff it as well. I feel like it's a little bit more lumberjack and a little less Rob, but, you know, she's definitely got the plaid going on. Um, I'm a little disappointed, though, that she didn't take the sail from the Edge of Extinction that she had been wearing for the majority of the season with her and make some sort of outfit out of that now that she was in the comfort of Ponderosa. But but this is pretty good. So I'll go ahead and give that a buff. Yeah, would it be great? If there was an actual lumberjack on a future season and they're just like chopping wood all the time, like a Paul Bunyan-esque figure, I feel like that would be really enjoyable. We had Timbertina for a hot second in Survivor Exile Island. All right, right, right. I forget if she was a a lumberjill or just like a log runner. She did something with wood. Uh, so I, I, I guess yeah. that's the closest we'll get to it. Thank you, Liana, for that gratuitous comment. You're welcome. I'm going to buff this as well. I think that it is. Uh, conducive for the weather as well. It gets super cold, so much so that you're asking for jackets from other contestants. So I think Reem picked something that had a nice pop of color considering she was just wearing that one blue dress and the occasional sail the entire time on Extinction Island. And it was able to uh, accommodate the weather as well. So I think I agree with you, Eric. I think her and David both made very smart choices and they both seem to be totally comfortable in their own skin as opposed to maybe some of these other people with their choices. Hmm. Not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but think about all the lumberjacks that were necessary to cut down all the wood to make those giant shrines to Boston Rob and Sandra out on Lol. So um, I think that the <laughs> island of lumberjacks could really work well. Yeah. Or what about that uh, giant shrine to Chris Underwood, all the wood that was needed there as well? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Wooden eggplants. <laughs> Let's talk about Eric here because I am so intrigued. <laughs> So in this picture, this is not the fullest extent of how Eric goes. Even though they left the edge of extinction, I think Eric just decided to keep mentally living there because every subsequent tribal council in the finale, he keeps coming back looking more and more tattered as if he didn't even realize there was a suitcase of clothes he could go into. Liana, are you buffing or snuffing Eric's off the island, off the rack look? 
<laughs> okay, I thought the exact same thing. When they all came out there and I saw Eric, I was like, why is Eric still on the edge of extinction? Did they not let him into Ponderosa? Because his clothes still look dirty. He's still wearing his really dirty buff. Like everyone else has taken them off. It doesn't make any sense why this is the choice that Eric made. I don't know if this has to do with his whole narrative of I'm doing it for my kids. And if my kids think I go to Ponderosa, like, man, I just can't do that. I'm not quite sure the logic behind these decisions. I I just don't understand why you wouldn't take advantage of the comfort of Ponderosa. I mean, props to him, but I don't know. I think I got to snuff this one. I had so little recollection of who Eric was (laughs) Mm. that I got panicked that you guys were about to bash my outfit that I'm wearing (laughs) currently. And that's all I have to say about whatever this man is doing and and his role in all of this. I mean, he looks like a, uh, you know, Indiana Jones preparing for a flood. This is a terrible look. It looks utterly ridiculous, covered in dirt. This is a snuff all the way. I mean, that would have been ultimate gotcha journalism on podcasting for like our last one is for Eric Stein, the shirt you're wearing right now. Before snuff. (laughs) Saeek. (laughs) <laughs> I I don't know. Maybe just because of the pure audacity of this, I'm going to buff it, but I'm going to snuff his uh his game with the other jurors based on the fact that they probably do not want to get near him considering how much his clothes smell after all this. But the progression is so interesting. So here, he's still wearing like rolled up jeans, his buff, he still has the beard. I believe the next tribal council, he wore a, a random tie around his neck. And then the very next one, he still was wearing the tie, but he cut the sleeves off of his shirt for some reason. I think it looked relatively well put together for the final tribal council, but I was more so tracking this man's slow descent into insanity, or at least hanging out on the edge of sanity if he's been living there for quite some time after getting voted out. You know, I mean, pig pen from the peanuts. Mm. That's what he looks like in this picture. He looks like he has a cloud of dirt around him. Yeah, that's a good analogy. I was going to say it's nice of them to let a homeless man be on the jury. But... <laughs> yeah, there's a nice warm fire. Yeah, right. They'll let him be there. I honestly was half expecting when we, you know, went to the reunion shots to see him still wearing the exact (laughs) same outfit. Uh, Like he was not allowed to shower for months. Well, that would have been like back in the day. Do you remember during like the Africa and Thailand finales where they want to create Mm. this like seamless transitions? They're like, great, Ethan, don't cut your hair or shave at all. You know, we still want to make you look as dirty as possible. So it suddenly is revealed that they're live and the audience is stunned into submission. Amazing. What? Where was Jeff Probst on the jet ski? I didn't see that part. All right, let's move on here. I want to go over to Aurora, who's rocking this uh, neon pink top and a nice pair of overalls. Eric, buff or snuff Aurora's choice here? This is a four oofer right here. (laughs) This is not a good look. It's like, uh, boy, it's somewhere between... Uh, something you might potentially hit the roller derby in meets uh, something that you might be drinking a 40 out of a brown paper bag in possibly. Uh, I do not like this. Um, It does not feel on brand for her either. It does not seem comfortable. It doesn't seem situationally appropriate. Um, this is uh, this is one of the worst offenders for me and really just a bizarre choice. I mean, as you're packing for the trip, What makes you think to yourself, you know what? I'm probably going to need those overall shorts. You know, I just wouldn't be in my thought process. Okay, here's what I will say. As a woman who has worn overalls, they are incredibly difficult and annoying to wear because every single time you have to go to the bathroom, you literally have to take your entire outfit off. 
because you have to just unhook everything. It's so annoying. So I guess, you know, I don't know if she was just, okay, it's been so easy to go to the bathroom now, you know, out on the edge. And now I really want to be constrained by clothing items. Now that I'm back in society, it reminds me of what it's like to be a real human. I don't know. Um, but yeah, this was definitely choices, like looking like Miss Polly Pocket over here. I like the the comment that the Eric made about it not being on brand. Maybe if she was drinking a 40, maybe I would have felt like it was more on brand, but I can totally see it. I I, I don't know. I, uh, I snuff it. I'm I'm going to buff it, but only because I think we finally found something that Aurora does not hate. You know, she she doesn't like puzzles or basketball or word puzzles or anything dealing with Rick Devins. But she does love overalls. And you know what? If she could find one thing to glom on to, maybe this whole experience was worth it. It could go in your lower third, you know, like uh, has no idols, loves overalls. <laughs> Hate soccer moms. <laughs> All right, let's move on here. I wanted to save the best for last. I feel like we could do an entire podcast about War Dog's choice of facial hair because it's just absurd. It makes Randall Topher's mustache look like any old beard you might find on the side of the street and not the one that Eric the Homeless Man is sporting. Liana, buff or snuff, War Dog will eventually shave this off, but since we, since we have a snapshot of what he chose in this moment, buff or snuff it? So, just in case you missed it, um, which it was pretty hard to miss because it's so terrible. It's like these sideburns that come all the way down and then stop right at sort of where the corners of his mouth are. There's like a gap and then there's these two little fuzzy like he couldn't decide which soul patch he wanted so he decided to do one under his lip and on his chin he looks like a nightmarish abraham lincoln like i i, I really don't know what to do with this i mean i absolutely have to buff it but i also can't st- or snuff it but i absolutely can't stop staring at it at the same time <laughs> to me he's somehow reminiscent of the hamburglar even though the hamburglar does not have facial hair of any kind it just looks like someone who would burgle my hamburger so i do not trust this man whatsoever he seems um really upset in this photo as well which is only enhancing the frightful nature of this situation this this is creepy beyond belief and and ron giggling behind him i mean this whole thing is just off the rails for me plus not to mention then he appears to be like wearing like maybe like some old navy shorts or something like that i mean just the whole ensemble is not really like working because his his facial hair is saying like i should be in full camo or something like that but his outfit is saying like oh i uh i'm gonna relax at a beach resort so i this is not working for me i'm I'm snuffing again (laughs) yeah i love that his face says cartoon villain but his outfit says like outlet mall yeah (laughs) doesn't really matter you know his his face is basically saying like i'm going to kill young victorian women in the back alley and you know the streets Mm -hmm. of london like this is very i could see war dog with the facial hair become a rival of sherlock holmes he has this just weird european look to him I think my favorite part, like Liana said, is my obsession with the fact that he has two soul patches. He really could not decide between the one under the chin and the one on or under the mouth and the one on the chin. So he essentially creates a dotted line down his face like a roadway with, I guess, the sides of the road being the mutton chops on either side. I guess I'm going to have to buff it. I'm going to buff it because you know what? In the Ponderosa videos, he rocked the full Abraham Lincoln beard. And I sympathize because I'm someone who also 
I grow facial hair, but my mustache grows especially weird, where it's almost like, I call it the reverse Hitler, where the ends are dark, and the middle is blonde, so it looks like I have, like, weird ends of the must- of the mustache growing in, but nothing else. And so I, for a while, when I used to try to grow out a beard, it would be only, like, the Abraham Lincoln chinstrap leprechaun deal. So I sympathize with War Dog's plight. Uh, so, I- I'm, you know, he's the most unconventional facial hair we've ever seen on Survivor. But then lean into it. Wear the top hat, you know, wear mm, a full right. black suit. You know, the more I'm looking at this picture, it wouldn't surprise me to one day find out that uh, War Dog and, uh, Dog and Aurora teamed up to murder someone together. I mean, they look they look like they, they could be. This is like the starting point of like natural born killers or something like that. They 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 really are not looking well in this photo. And I, I just I wish they had gone with happier choices. Mm, they'll probably murder Eric because he's the homeless man and so no one will miss the homeless man. Why are they going to murder me? This is terrible. <laughs> oh, right. I forgot. Yes. And your shirt is terrible. Uh, I've been murdered again. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, let's move on from that. Now, while we've had dedicated a lot of time, many weeks, to the Edge of Extinction, if you're in the mood for Survivor players still participating in CBS reality, There's still some stuff going on here in The Amazing Race 31. And for our final game of the season, I got sent a game idea from Thomas Weber that is called This Season So Far in Survivors on The Amazing Race History. So we're going to have Liana and Eric compete against each other about this season of The Amazing Race so far. Before we get into the minutia of it all, uh, Eric, as a reality TV connoisseur, what have been your feelings about the season so far? Given I know you have vested interests in certain people. What have you thought about the four episodes we've seen in The Amazing Race 31 at, up to this point? Well, I mean... For me, I, I could have this as the format for as long as Amazing Race stays on the air. I think it gives you a little bit more rooting interest. These are people who are naturally great on television, but I've been very surprised how it played out. Uh, for one thing, I, I do enjoy seeing some of my favorites. It's always really great to see some friends out there. Uh, I've been shocked by the airtime. Um, in particular, the transition from like snarky commentators and like sort of like a little bit of a bitchy side for uh, Janelle and Brittany into team mom has been a very like stark departure that has been very strange to watch. Um, I've been a little bit disappointed in um, how much entertainment value we're getting out of certain people. We all know, you know, Brett is as entertaining as it comes and, you know, he's having his moments here and there, not for nothing. I think they picked the survivors out of a hat when they made their selections. Um, I, I don't know. It's been a, it's been a weird watching experience, but I said this a few weeks back with Rob and my main takeaway is they cast some of the best teams in amazing race history to go against middle-aged people, physically unfit people, random people. And I wish that they had made the playing field more even the amazing racers were always going to have a leg up having actually played the game before but what i'm seeing is like if you're going to play survivor and we had like you know hatch and sandra and boston rob and they're taking on like the ninth place finisher from amazing race it just doesn't seem like a super fair game but it's been entertaining watching them try and figure it out anyway 
Yeah, it's been interesting to to see people that are so incredibly entertaining on Survivor and Big Brother then to go into the Amazing Race format. I think it really highlights the stark difference in the way that the shows are formatted, where essentially the Amazing Race is like action 100% of the time. It's almost like if a challenge were to take up the whole episode um, and because you just don't get like the number of confessionals that you're sort of used to with Big Brother or with Survivor, where it is a social game. And of course, there's challenges and competitions along the way, but you have an emphasis on the social gameplay and that's like not as big of a piece of The Amazing Race, although it's definitely still there. And so part of that then is why you... I, I feel a little less fulfilled because I was like so excited to have Janelle and Brittany back on my screen. And like Eric pointed out, who is team mom? <laughs> what is going on? Well, let's get into this. Now, I will say right off the bat here that we are going to be spoiling the events of the first four episodes of The Amazing Race 31. And if you're not into The Amazing Race, skip ahead about 10 minutes or so to the end of the podcast. But I figured this would be a nice way to transition us away from Survivor and towards some of the other CBS reality TV content. As the name alludes to of this game, this is going to be a play off of this week in Survivor history or this week in Survivor this season. So we're going to start with two. We're going to have two rounds in this game. Uh, the first round, much like Twish, is going to work where I will give you four categories and you will select a category or a question to answer. When I ask you the question, if you want to guess outright you'll, and you get it correct, you'll get two points. You can ask for multiple choice options, but that will give you only one point if you get it correct. If you go for the two points and you miss, your opponent will get the chance to answer it. And if they get it correct, they get two points. It's all about risk and reward. And we'll see if we're able to keep our math straight or if we keep our categories straight as well. Only time will tell if this just comes with the Twish brand. Okay, well, you know what? Uh, we'll, we shall see how this goes. I have been doing well on Twitch. I don't know what you have in store for us, but I'm excited to find out. You explained the rules in less than 45 minutes, so we're off to a good start here. <laughs> exactly. So the four categories for round one are a reward with all the fixins, survivor sabotage, Kim Spradlin, and noticeable hats. <laughs> Eric, as the guest, we'll start with you. Which category would you like to pick? I'm going to go with all-time legend Kim Spradlin. All right, Kim Spradlin. So again, I will read the question. You can guess outright without any multiple choice for two points, but you, you risk the chance of Liana possibly guessing. If you get it wrong, then you can ask for multiple choice for only one point. Here is your question. Kim Spradlin gives spirit animal descriptions to many different people. Rupert got to spend time with his spirit guide during a roadblock in Laos. Another Survivor contestant named their elephant after what former Survivor player? I'm going to go with the multiple choice, please. All right. <laughs> A, Eliza. B, Rupert. C, Brett. D, Kim Spradley. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, Eric. I, I don't know what any of this means, and I watch these. Yeah. Uh, I I, oh my god! When you read the question, I was like, "Oh, it's elephant." I know the answer. <laughs> like, oh no! I don't. Oh no! 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 Uh, I'm not letting you off that easy. All right. Well then, uh, mm, uh, I will go with. I have no idea, Eliza. Unfortunately, the elephant <laughs> was named Brett. 
Uh, Chris was the one who named it. I believe he said that it's because he was big, lumbering, and overall happy with his state of well-being. Oh, that's nice. Sweet. Sounds about right. All right. Liana, here's a chance for you to score. Uh, the categories left are a reward with all the fix-ins, survivor sabotage, and noticeable hats. Uh, I'll go with reward with all the fix-ins. In the premiere episode of The Amazing Race Season 31, Corinne and Eliza describe some, some of the other teams at the airport. After describing Rupert and Laura as old, what condiment did Rupert ask Laura to save him some? Um, uh, okay, I'm going to guess. It was mayonnaise. That is correct. Yes, who could forget Rupert Boneham and his love of mayonnaise? Uh, yeah, that was weird. <laughs> I was here for it, but that was weird. All right, Leon. What is- was she doing traveling with mayonnaise anyway? <laughs> well, they had bought sandwiches, and you know how you get like one pack. No, 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 no. I love this right? theory that Eric came up with that they had to pack the essentials, which of course <laughs> included a nice big old jar of Hellman's. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, you don't want to weigh down your bag with unnecessary items. So well, he only has really- one shirt, right? So, <laughs> well, has- that's. Exactly. Saving weight. And so you can only pick the condiments that you really, you know, you really need. All right. So let's move on here. Liana is up two to zero. Eric, your choice of category here, a reward with, uh, no, sorry, survivor sabotage or noticeable hats. Well, this is concerning because uh, I was traveling this past week and I've yet to complete this past episode yet. And I feel like survivor sabotage could be from that episode potentially so i'm going to go with noticeable hats to try and hedge my bets all right this is of course about noticeable hats in the amazing race season 31 during a detour in vietnam chris and brett paddled a basket boat to collect fish during this chris was sporting his bromance hat his hashtag bromance hat which we definitely talked about on the recap this week what is the color of the bromance hat You know, not for nothing, but I should have chosen the mayo question, which has been discussed ad nauseum on the podcast. The color of the man's hat. I mean, there's also no point in asking for multiple. I could be really. I mean, I suppose if I knew their team color, that might help the situation, which I also do not know. Um, And I'm going to need the two points to stay in the game. So I'm going to go hmm, with, um, mm, ah, oh no, it's all happening. Ah, I'm going to take the multiple choice. All right. We have A, gray, B, black, C, brown, D, purple. Oh, those would not have been my uh, choices. I will go with uh, the incorrect answer, D, purple. That is indeed incorrect. He did not wear a purple hat, even if they have been purple for a little bit. The correct answer is gray. The famous gray hashtag bromance hat that we now all know the color of. Mm. How did I miss that the first time? It's so noticeable. Gray is such a standout color. (laughs) Uh, Do they have a team color? Because I'm trying to think. I feel like I so I think I would have guessed black because I think Chris was wearing black is that is there so, black? They, so they met they started with wearing green i believe but you know once you sort of get into their amazing race your colors unless you're like the riley sisters your colors sort of like fall apart as a scheme so just like eliza and corinne sort of ditched the pink shirts early on once they got super sweaty in tokyo so did chris and brett so they technically have a team color but it was sort of thrown aside 
Okay. Mm. All right. All right. Should have gone with team overalls. Would have <laughs> been better. Oh my god. We we have yet to see a team run the race. We've seen teams run in jeans, but nobody has dared run in overalls. Maybe if Team Murderer of Wardog and Aurora run the race one day, they'll do it in overalls. I'm excited for that team. Watch them back. Against Team Lumberjack. Yeah. That'll, they have axes, so that could really be some serious competition. All right. Liana, we're going with Survivor Sabotage for you. While preparing for a roadblock in Vietnam, which Survivor contestant started yelling loudly to annoy the other racers? Uh, uh, I will take the multiple choice. A. Brett. B. Eliza. C. Rupert. D. It's a trick question. No one did that. Can you tell me what the roadblock was? Uh, I believe it was the motorbikes, if I'm recalling correctly. I don't think. Oh no! You know what? Any- you know what? It's the it's the karaoke. I just had a minor mistake on my part. It was the karaoke from the third episode. I was yelling to mess people up. Well, I remember Eliza singing in an annoying way, so I'll go with Eliza. Was she one of the options? I hope so. She was one of the options, and you okay. are correct. It was Eliza okay. uh, doing her own memorization technique. Really, uh. You know, not exactly making the most number of friends on the race when it came to her musical stylings. I was all about that song, though, from that episode. The nyang 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 nyang. I was so here for it. I know that you talked about the content of the song may not have been the most PC, but song the song slapped. I don't so. think I don't think it mattered to you if the song was PC, though, considering what, what the true. bleep consisted of. <laughs> that's true <laughs> that's funny all right i'm starting to have an existential crisis here guys i'm losing all the games i came Uh-oh. to the bnb so you could have me playing some games and now i'm falling apart here and i can only think this must be part of my story right well eric just- we're, gonna, yeah, we're gonna send you an audio recording you sent to yourself before coming on to this podcast to give you that last needed boost uh. <laughs> yeah, i'm eric- so emotional reading that is that what would you what would you have written to yourself? Do you think if you had to write a letter? Um, you lost. Go home. Yeah, <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, de- demotivational. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I mean, what what could you have possibly said to yourself? Like, well, what would like you know like what are you here for? To win? To money? <laughs> like you lost. You suck. <laughs> I, I probably would have. I know I talked about it with Rob, what I would have written, but I also probably, knowing how we do our predictions, I probably would have written like, so you decided to not play your idol after receiving the legacy advantage when you were down 4-2 at the final six. Look where you are now. The question <laughs> is when you wrote it, because if you were writing it when you were already sort of like in the pre-Ponderosa, you could write fan fiction about the other players you're mm. observing but haven't met yet. Mm. Actually, that's a really great idea. If I ever play Survivor, I'm going to keep that in the back of my head. All right. So Liana is up three to zero, but Eric, you still have a chance to come back here. We are moving into round two. So in this round, we will give you a total of four questions to go with. Uh, If you answer incorrectly, you cannot answer any more for that round. So this could be a chance for Eric to cash up if Liana immediately falls out of it. The theme of this round is a personal favorite of our manager, Rob Cesarino. One, both, or neither. So, what's going to happen is, for for each question, I'm going to give you a fact in either two teams or two individuals. You have to say whether that fact applies to both options, neither options, or one of the two options. So, like, for example, if I say, 
uh, you know, this team got eliminated, Rupert and Laura, Corinne and Eliza, the answer would be both, since they both got eliminated up to this point. Sorry, sorry for spoiling it for you, Eric. So, uh, we have <laughs> six options here. Eric, pick a number one through six for me. Uh, six, please. Okay, so this is, again, going to be one, both, or neither. And if you say one, uh, please try to select which you think is the one option here. Spoke at the starting line of this season of The Amazing Race. Option one is Eliza. Option two is Corinne. One, both, or neither. Who spoke at the, at the starting line? I am going to go with Eliza only. That is unfortunately incorrect. It was oh, both. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Mike, you should be really worried for Eric here. <laughs> yeah, Eric unfortunately got tangled up in the ropes like War Dog. Uh, but Liana, let, let's see if you can keep going here. Uh, so pick a number uh, one through five. Um, okay. Uh, one. Got to climb up the inflatable Mount Fuji. Option one, Laura Bonham. Option two, Brett. One, both, or neither. One, and it was Brett. That is correct. You want to keep going? Um, well, I don't know, because I think, has Eric come back from so using some sort of twist? Wow, uh, and does actually, he actually, Eric is now looking, he's sporting a full beard, wearing I'm very dirty, perfect game. very, perfect very dirty game. clothing. I think Eric is fully transformed into homeless Eric from the show, due to his copious amounts of losses. You are just handpicking the easy questions for her, right? I mean, I was going to say, I think I've, yeah, I, I've gotten all the easy questions. So if there's any solace in that, Eric, I don't know if there is in an amazing race style Twish game. We all but. know that what color was Chris's hat was a gimme. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, who remembers it was gray? <laughs> now we all do. Well, congratulations, Liana. But congratulations, Eric, as well, for surviving uh, the rigor that we put you through with this. A special thanks again to Thomas Weber and to everyone who has been sending us game ideas all season long. They have been really fantastic, and I really appreciate all the hard work everyone puts in. Yeah. Also, I'm, I think I'm just, I don't know. The, the Twish gods look kindly upon me, apparently. Uh, and also, you know, I think that Kalish could learn a thing or two. Uh, Mike, that was a really well executed game. Thank yeah, you for I, I'll teach Kalish. Make sure you purposely give the guests the harder questions. That's how you yes. really make sure you make for a good installment of twists. I don't oh. know how Rob does so well. I think uh, we're roughly around the same age, and I feel like senility was affecting my ability to win this game. I couldn't even, I, c I couldn't remember what I had for lunch today, let alone any of these things. Was it so, mayonnaise? I don't know. I just, oh, uh, that does sound familiar, but I forgot it. You know, don't forget the mayonnaise. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I prefer the, the rigging of the competitions. That's my personal favorite. Uh, all right, let's get in uh, to a little bit more Survivor before we begin to wrap everything up. So over the course of the season, we have been putting together the addendum to the Ron Clark rules. So Ron Clark has the essential 55 rules to like help educate the children's or whatever. And we have been adding a rule each episode so that by the time we got to the finale, that's right, the finale, we would have 69 rules. And today, gentlemen, is our day to add the 69th rule to wow. the Ron Clark rules. Never thought this day would come. Emphasis on come. Finally here. Uh, all right. So let me just run through the rules that we have established so far. Uh, Reem Daily 
speak softly and carry a big snake. So that one, uh, definitely. That's a winning strategy, apparently. <laughs> I know. Who would have thought Chris Underwood would have inspired maybe two of the rules on this list? Uh, don't be stupid, stupid. Watch your back. Always go through someone's bag 20 minutes ago. Have Joey Amazing on your tribe. All's fair in love and war dog. Dress for the blind side you want. Don't be the puppet master. If you're going to jump ship, give them your wallet. Be the good cop. It's criminally underrated. If you treat someone like a dog, you might get bit. Blood is thicker than parchment. And when it comes to idols, don't be idle. Okay, so I'm going to throw out a couple of my ideas and uh, and then we'll see if you guys have any suggestions or ideas. Uh, so mine, of course, center around uh, mostly the negative reverse <laughs> because I thought that was hilarious. So I have always know how to perform a negative reverse. Um, also, I don't know if you guys know this, but Chris got nine out of the 13 votes, which amounts to 69.2% <gasps> of the votes. I know. This was This is like the, like the Nautilus shell golden ratio of the Survivor universe. That 69 is just appearing everywhere. I know. Uh, Tan on Twitter pointed it out. Like, I could not believe when I actually did it, like typed it into my calculator, it's like nine divided by 13. Oh my God, it's actually 69%. Uh, so based on that, I have do a negative reverse to ensure 69% of the votes uh, or use a twist and the negative reverse to finish strong. So those are my ideas. I don't feel super strongly about any of them, but I like love this concept of somehow incorporating the negative reverse or 69 or finishing, you know, I don't know. I think maybe we mm. can come to a consensus emphasis on come. <laughs> Eric, what are you thinking? All right. Well, I, I have a couple others to throw into the mix. Uh, I have, uh, if you have a number one ally, don't vote for them in the end. <laughs> <laughs> always a good rule yeah i have uh when walking the red carpet be sure to always backpedal all of your prior actions <laughs> because in all of his interviews i'm not a villain i was just having fun out there he really did not take ownership of his game and then just inspired by our recent fashion game i will say overalls don't trust aurora <laughs> i have no idea what that even means but I like it. Um, Mike, do you have any thoughts? I'm sort of obsessed with the overalls thing now. Could it be like, I don't know, overalls can affect your overall game? Overall, let's see. Uh, for your, uh, let's see. Um, for, I don't know, something about like, uh, pull, I don't know, pull a negative reverse for your overall game. I still want to get negative reverse in there just because I really love that phrase yeah, i don't even understand what that means is it so know. is it like well i guess he's reverse negging because he's negging himself right he's his point was that he was like he was purposely supplanting himself below lauren to say i'm in so much trouble please i need your help to convince her to sort of play the idol on him but i guess i mean rob and i were talking about this of like what reverse psychology entails so it's it's being make purposely making yourself negative and then reversing the outcome and turning the tables on them I don't know. It sounds like a sex position. So like, honestly, that's why I'm into it. And I think it would be good. Uh, but I love working overalls in there. Also, it's very fitting uh, for this episode. And I feel like every rule should have the flavor of the Ooh. episode as well. Here's another thing. Have, oh, go ahead. I have looked this up now. It says uh, 
A prospect says they would like to purchase your product. Instead of jumping in with the close and pulling out a purchase order, instead, you might slow things down, take a step back and ask, are you sure you've given it enough thought? Which I do not what? remember him doing <laughs> as a sales. No, he did the exact opposite. It would have been if Lauren approached him and said, I want to play my idol on you. And he said, do you really want to do that? Yeah. Plus, why? Wait, I'm sorry. Why is this a good thing? Wouldn't you just want to be like, oh, you want to buy my product? Great. Thanks. And then make the sale. Is the point to get more? I don't know. Well, okay. obviously, I did, uh, you know, Whoops. go to the negotiation school of Chris Underwood or Angelina. Uh, here's mm-hmm. here's one thing that I was thinking about. So, yeah, that's a sales technique. And Reem also wore the sale. Could we do something about that? About like where the sale make the sale? Yeah, where the sale overall, where the sale make the sale? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so it could be something stupid like that. Just again, this was a very random season. It would be apropos if we finished on such a random note to reference a piece of clothing a juror wore and something that another juror liked to wear in their spare time. I like it. Okay, yeah, the where the sale make the sale. Or, I mean, if he was really trying to give, uh, you know, a rules to winning the game, it could just be um, get voted out third. <laughs> yeah, well, if it was rules was of the, the game, we would have skipped rules 57 through 68. <laughs> uh, yeah, just get voted out third. I don't know. Go live on a separate island where you can hang out with the jury with no consequences. <laughs> like That was the other thought I had for a rule. <laughs> it was a little less poetic. So can you uh, can you read off now that we have the full list completed and it's crystallized? Let, let's see what havoc we wrought over the, these past 14 weeks uh, for the rules that we have so far mm-hmm. or for our options. Well, what's our final rule? I think didn't where the sale, make the sale, where the sale, make the sale. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's fine by me. Um, I think I change rule number 69 to like rule number 69 percent. Yeah. Or like rule number nine out of 13. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Rule number nine out of 13. And then also, you know, we're trying to be classy here. So, all right, let's sum up the rules one more time. For those of you keeping track at home, Reem Daly, speak softly and carry a big snake. Don't be stupid, stupid. Watch your back. Always go through someone's bag 20 minutes ago. Have Joey amazing on your tribe. All's fair and love and war dog. Dress for the blind side you want. Don't be a puppet master if you're gonna jump ship give them your wallet be the good cop it's criminally underrated if you treat someone like a dog you might get bit blood is thicker than parchment when it comes to idols don't be idle and finally rule number six or nine out of 13 (laughs) wear the sale make the sale spelled s-a-i-l-s-a-l-e wow wow what a cluster f we have put together (laughs) Here, folks, this is really my life's work of this season. <laughs> Ron Clark, is, is there such a thing as adults going to the Ron Clark Academy? Because I am not above crowdfunding uh, a summer enrollment for myself and reporting back. <laughs> I'm very curious to learn more, especially based on those rules. Yeah, I I would give money to that GoFundMe or whatever campaign, Eric, if you can put that together. But I, I'd I'm like definitely it to be Matthew Perry as Ron Clark. <laughs> right. But could it could we crowdfund it to be like a Billy Madison type of thing though where it's not adult education it's just you Eric in the classroom with these children learning along with them? Back mm-hmm. to school, back to <laughs> school. 
<laughs> right, because you wouldn't go because I know because adults can go for educator training, right? But you just want to go as a student, <laughs> right? I want to be educated. Correct, that is correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm hopefully uh, we're getting a residual check from Ron Clark in the mail eventually. I know he's re-releasing his rules. We snuck in just a few under the wire there, so I'm going to try to print these out and nail these to my wall. Personally, these will now be my commandments to live each and every day by. And Liana. Thank you so much for driving this initiative and compiling them all. (laughs) This was definitely worth it is a thing I might have said, but won't because I don't know if it was. Uh, But yeah, thanks to everyone also who sent in suggestions throughout. Um, This was something we couldn't have done (laughs) without listener participation. Maybe shouldn't have done really, Uh, but I'm, I'm happy with this. I really do think we'll get included uh, when Ron Clark re 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 republishes his book because clearly these are gold. Um, So you're welcome, Ron. Well, the thing is, so he, his book got popular because he went on Oprah, right? Or Oprah inspired him to write a book. Is there another talk show he should go on to, which will inspire him to re-re-re-release the book so we can get our rules in there? The Jeff yeah, Probst show. Exactly, with Rick Devins as co-host. <laughs> All right, now it has to happen. Now we are rooting for that, for that success. That's right. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that's what Jeff was getting at when Devins was out there, especially because it's kind of like when you ask someone to marry you in front of a bunch of people and then they can't really say no because it would be really awkward. I kind of feel like that's what Jeff was doing to to Rick Devins, like be like, oh, you have to say yes, because, you know, you're in front of people. Do you, right? think, do you think Garvin proposed to his wife while he was playing Fortnite? And so all of his bros <laughs> had to listen. <laughs> Garvin. <laughs> classic garvin right there that's right classic garvin mike can you name your next baby garvin uh sure yes i will promise i'll name my next child garvin bloom you know uh rob and akiva are naming a baby on their upcoming podcast could mm-hmm. we maybe the three of us could get together and submit garvin as a possible option <gasps> Yes. Oh my gosh, for sure. Okay, Renap, we are officially submitting Garvin as a baby name. Yes, middle well, name overalls. Garvin right. overalls. Yeah, last insert last name here, Devins. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, perfect. Well, speaking of Devins, this brings us to the final segment of each and every week here on the BNB and our final segment of the season, the question of the week. Last week's question of the week. How would you prevent someone from finding an idol? As per usual, we'll read through some submissions that you listeners sent in, and then we'll read our own responses. First, from John John, the best way to make Devons not look for an idol is to create a fake idol first, then make a fake map to the fake idol and pretend to go look with him. So I like that aspect. You have to be like, ooh, Rick, let's go on a scavenger hunt together. Hmm. Sounds very Edge of Extinction to me. <laughs> yeah, line up the holes and the letters. Yeah, uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, Devin's made those two fake idols. So, you know, I think he was thinking similarly. Can we talk about that for a second? Because I'm still not I watched the episode a few times. I'm still not sure how to feel about that scene because it came across, at least initially to me, a bit callous. The second time I watched it now, sort of knowing what was going to happen and that Devin's would eventually sort of fall in fourth place. I took it more as like the him looking in the get a load of this guy camera. But the first time I watched it, it felt a little bit different than like Ozzy laughing at Jason Siska for finding the stick on Exile Island. Maybe it's just because of how excited Julie and Lauren were. 
Yeah, I definitely felt really bad for Julie and Lauren. And, uh, you know, some people have talked about this with um, Angelina hiding the fake idol, like similarities. But it was interesting to see the way the show portrayed it, because definitely the music that played while Julie and Lauren were finding their fake idols was very like happy kind of music. So I think we were supposed to perceive it as being a fun thing, but it didn't necessarily feel like a fun thing, knowing that, you know, poor Julie was going to get blindsided thinking that it was a real idol. Eric, any thoughts about that fake idol finding scene and the chaos that ensued at the tribal council? I think uh, not for nothing. You know, he didn't really hide them very well. So I think it's like, uh, you know, tough, (laughs) tough luck because they should have realized that something was not adding up here. I don't see how they didn't put two and two together as it as it relates to all of this. Uh, There clearly were not multiple idols still in play at that point. And, uh, you know, so I I didn't I didn't really feel badly for them. I I, I don't know if it was necessary from a game standpoint, but I guess at that point, anything to disarm your opponents or give them a false sense of safety. You know, I'm for it. I I don't think it was malicious. I think it was, uh, you know, in his mind, he was going the extra mile. So I don't think there was ill intent behind it and for what it's Mm. worth they all responded pretty like fine with it you know julie just sort of let out a charlie brown-esque ugh and put her head in her (laughs) hands lauren was beaming from ear to ear even if it did get her voted out so it did seem like an all good fun even if it was yet another opportunity to get outwitted by devins when it came to idols Oh my gosh. So this actually reminds me of something that happened at that tribal council when the the fake idols get played or whatever. And then um, Devin's goes and plays his idol for Gavin. And then Chris is dramatically says, dude, are you serious, man? And Chris goes, I love you, bro. (laughs) What? horrible acting it was so terrible that's gonna that's gonna be like the big climactic moment in the chris underwood story oh, i can't wait i can't wait matt leblanc really is gonna do a bang-up job i can't wait <laughs> matt leblanc oh. and the kool-aid man slash jason <laughs> alexander truly the love story we've all wanted um actually i have a fun victoria moment that i remember um so when jeff asks if anybody else has an idol um there's a shot of the jury and you can barely see it at the end but victoria starts to raise her hand and mouths the words (laughs) jeff which i thought was so funny um it's just like a brief second but a really great character moment for victoria oh i love that i didn't even notice that that's just fantastic so funny all right. Uh, Logan says, I would prevent someone from finding an idol by giving the person a Vince Sly hug. Eric, do you think do you think as someone who also, you know, uh, was from the, the same show that gives people awkwardly long hugs, sometimes due to tasks, do you think that could work to get people away from looking for idols? Uh, it feels a little me too to me. I wouldn't be doing that. That's no good. You don't want any long hugs. No, that's that's uh, got to respect people's personal boundaries. I'm going to I'm going to say no on that one. <laughs> yeah, that also I could see featured in our Chris Ron or uh, Chris uh, Devin story, something with a long hug somewhere in there. I don't know. Uh, Caleb says to stop someone from from climbing, from finding an idol, I'd hop on their back at Brett LaBelle style in this pick. And he attached a picture on Twitter of Brett piggybacking on Chris Hammonds while they're standing in front of the Gold Star Sausage Company. What? Yeah, I guess this is this is a place. I don't know if this was in their Amazing Race travels, uh, but it looks like they were doing some more traveling together. And uh, Brett was being carried piggyback a la Brandon Hodor. Now, is Chris wearing a gray hat or a purple hat? No, no, no noticeable (laughs) hat on Chris Hammond. Perhaps it did not survive the Vietnam River expedition. Mm, I see. Uh, Parker Schimler says, 
Would it be frowned upon to contribute to the deforestation of Fiji by chopping down noticeable trees to prevent idle searching? That's, that's like serious. That's like ser- Oh my gosh! Actually, the lumberjacks. The yeah, the lumberjack season. This could be the real strategy. Um, I actually heard an article on NPR. Uh, oh my god, I'm so white about um the deforestation of the Cook Islands, and I was like, y'all, it was Survivor. <laughs> uh, it was not Survivor. It yeah. was like man-made other shit. But well, did Cowboy say there was a bad wind in the trees, and so he convinced them to to bulldoze it all? You know, one yeah. time uh, Cowboy actually did that to me. He took the whatever that was, the wind <laughs> ceremony that he did, <laughs> and it left a welt on my forehead for like three days afterwards. Yeah, I was about to ask how long did those last, because I know that it was in the first episode of Cook Islands, and like Brad had a little mark on his face, but I didn't realize that it really lasted for like half a week. You know, I was thinking towards the end of this uh, this sequence, the finale, like what would even babysitting Devins while he searches for the idols do for you? I mean, he just finds it, right? You know, you just find, like what what would it matter if they knew he found it? If he was still one step ahead of them and he found it, but he's at the final five and that takes you to the fire making. Well, then he has it anyway. So who really knows, cares if they know that he has it? I, I wasn't even sure what what even following someone around would accomplish. So I think you need to go more extreme. And my suggestion is. You poison them. Yeah, that, that's that, that's the key. Like, and then if they have gastrointestinal distress, they can't leave the shelter or the uh, you know bathroom area, and then they're they're left with no chance of of going out searching whatsoever. Yeah, my my idea was something very similar, where I would say just collect a bunch of bees and release them at certain points. When I'd say it's still tail Rick, and if he's it feels like he's close, then just release the bees. Since Dr. Mike got sort of dissuaded from looking for an idol for a while when he found a bunch of hornets in a nest, and it seems like they exist in Fiji. Yeah, I love this concept of, you know, heading them off at the pass before they can really even get out there, you know, via bees or poison, um, I suppose, are two completely valid options that we could be choosing. Uh, Yeah, I was thinking something similar also about like you have to like just pull them in with the longest story and do not let them leave like uh, the Vince Sly hug version of a story like you just don't let them out. So I like the bees a lot. Like I feel like it could be almost like the Pied Piper of bees, like or Bide Piper of bees. Pied Piper. I, I feel like you you like spend your first half of your time on the island befriending the bees to weaponize them for later in the game potentially. And it's like, uh, why why do you need human connection if you can have the bees do your bidding for you later on in the game? I'm just calling it. If Ty comes back for a third time, considering how much he was into bees with that one shirt he wore, I feel like that's a next level strategy on his part. You know what? I think we talked about this with like being able to weaponize the animals on the island somehow, like a weird version of a Disney princess. Like Mike has his swarm of bees that he can just sick on anyone who tries to come find an idol or, you know, the bats or the snakes or whatever. Um, I think I think that's really the next level strategy. Yeah, that's an evolution in the game. Exactly. Right. And that is using your strategic mind as well. So I, I think I, I think. That that's the winner for uh, sure. A couple of other answers here. To Wait, what? I just now I imagine on uh, on the island of idols, you go out there and and Sandra's like, okay, here's your advantage, bees. <laughs> it's a jar of bees. Yes. Well, you like, could actually imagine uh, like Tony pulling out the bees from his bag of tricks. Yeah, right. yeah. Just like I got before the, you. Here we go. Uh, here's something to really shake things up. Release the bees! Yeah, before you vote for me, I have one final thought you might want to reconsider. 
<laughs> oh my god i love that imagine that would be like the ultimate fake idol is like you put a bunch of bees in an idol and when jeff breaks it open it just a bunch of bees come out and sting you to add insult to injury and you have to wear the bee immunity necklace <laughs> yeah, psych it was bees the whole time All right. oh my gosh and then the bees come back from the island of extinction and then it's just ugh, that's a whole mess Wow. Or the bees have been maturing out on Ghost Island and now they're hornets. I mean, really, you've got a lot of options. The tough here. thing about bees, if you vote the bees out, they're going to vote in a hive. And so that's going to be very tough. And they're going to vote for their natural queen. So you have to take that person out first. Mm, of course, of course. Again, next level strategy. Queen uh, bee stays queen bee. <laughs> Adios. Oh boy. All right. So, finish things off. We have a couple more responses as we get back from the B tangent that we went on for the past five minutes. Uh, Chris Todd says, I don't know how long this will distract someone from finding an idol, but I would pull a Mike Bloom and have my pants fall down to distract them, which to Eric's point might be a bit too much me too, but it was certainly enough to distract the nurses in the nursery as I was tending to my child. So, I guess it could work on people on an island. Yeah. How did it go over in the hospital? That's the real question. Yeah. yeah I mean, I say weirder things that would have happened at 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday evening in that hospital. So it probably, you know, was on that side of the spectrum, but not exactly. It was not on the edge of the spectrum Hmm. of extinction. All right. So final thing here in honor of this weekend's guest on the BNB, the way I would prevent people from finding hidden idols on Survivor would be to make the theme Survivor Gallagher Island, where stand up comedian and CBS reality phenom Gallagher would live on the island with all the contestants. His sole purpose would be to follow everyone else around with his wooden mallet and smash up whichever area they were looking in while telling outdated jokes. Obviously, whichever food anyone would win as a reward would immediately be smashed as well. What a life we would live on the Survivor Gallagher Island! Yeah, let's workshop this for a second, because he could have a practical purpose out there. What if he was just the designated coconut opener? (laughs) Mm. I, I feel like you could just like live. You you go to Gallagher Island. You if you, get, you have the good fortune of finding your coconuts, and he mallets the shit out of them, and then you come back replenished after visiting him. I think this this could be something that I mean we actually don't know what happens on the island of I, uh, idols yet, you know. So it could be happening there. I mean, who needs Tata the Bushman when you have Gallagher? When you have Gaga the comedian. Oh my gosh. I I would be here for Gallagher Island or just, you know, Gallagher because that quote, the life we lead is just so good. It makes me happy and I would like more of that. Well, now I'm imagining Gallagher like in a Tata the Bushman-esque like native outfit, like a loincloth, but he still wears that weird page boy cap that he always wears and just is carrying his big old tribal mallet around. I think it's a sight to behold and I think we could dedicate an entire statue to that. Screw the 20 feet. It's a 50 foot statue of Gallagher to welcome them to Gallagher Island. It's going to be a lot of wood. Fiji's in for uh, <laughs> for some devastation. Yeah, and if Gallagher smashes the bees, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just assume that, that would get worked in there somehow. Well, suffice it to say, this is our last episode of the season. No question of the week for next week or weeks in perpetuity. Thank you all so much for responding to these questions of the week. We always love to hear from you creative minds out there, and it's been a hoot to go through all of these and i cannot wait to see in survivor 41 moving forward who exactly brings out the bees to bring in the honey and bring in the money uh but that's gonna finish things off here for the edge of extinction it was a weird episode of the b&b but it was a very weird finale so i find it apropos and eric 
thank you so much for coming on and submitting to yourself for some of these ridiculous ridiculously hard games it was so much fun to hear your thoughts on the season overall the way it ended in particular and uh how exactly you compare your your fashion sense to those of the same name as you well thanks so much for having me i have a question what do you guys do with the b&b during the off season who stays there eric Mm. (laughs) that's right yeah we rent it out to homeless <laughs> Eric is currently living there. Um, the bees take over for a bit. Sometimes Gallagher comes That's true. to stay. The, the bees naturally live in the B and B. It's only appropriate. That's right. The the B B B and B. Oh, wait. Oh, that's what we do in the off season. Yeah, that's actually true. Speaking of which, actually, I, I, I don't think Leon and I haven't really conferred about it, but I would say we can probably tentatively write in pencil a Big Brother 21 B&B, at least maybe on like a monthly basis than what we did before, right, Liana? Yeah, I think that would be fun. I think we'll probably do what we did uh, uh, last season where we did it, I think, once a month. Yeah, I think that was good. That was a lot of fun. And it's always fun to do the RHAP BBB&B because, you know, who doesn't love it? Well, speaking of which, though, Eric, uh, actually, the, the day we're recording this, the Big Brother premiere date was released for late next month. So I can only assume that the Summer of Sign is going to be much like the Ron Clark Academy back in session very soon. Well, someone's got to keep feeding the positive and stay crushing it. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. The outwit, outplay, outlast of Gallagher Island is just stay crushing it. I'm in a contract holdout until I find out if Rob can book Pauly Califiori for the first episode as our guest. If not, forget it. <laughs> I, oh, I love Polly. Wait, are you watching the challenge? Oh, I am. Yes. Ugh, okay. Oh my gosh. That was, I was, I was rooting for Polly. Not going to lie. I can't help it. I blame Dude. you. No, it's unironically. I've, I've actually become a, a legitimate fan of his now. I know. No, I it's, know. It's, it's because he's, he's, his archetype or his personality type is so manipulative and borderline sociopathic, especially off, you know, off of the show, but it's perfect for that type of show where it's honestly just him the bigger his ego is, the more entertaining he is. He has been an absolute bastion of entertainment to either root for or root against. I really think this is the perfect show for him. And I've been loving watching his cartoon character self on the past two seasons of the challenge. Well, not for nothing. He's also the only one on there who ever sent a personalized message to my dog. So I have to root mm. for him. That's true. Or he'll revoke <laughs> it. That's right. Wouldn't want that to happen. Uh, and Eric, if people want to find out about all of your random music, I know you were very supportive last night of those of us going through the Game of Thrones finale. How can people follow you on social media? Yeah, it's funny you should mention that because I was thinking at the top of this episode how I was going against my own advice because I seemed awfully upset about the Survivor finale. <laughs> so clearly I did not take my own advice to just sit back and enjoy your favorite shows and not nitpick them when all we did here for two hours was nitpick this. But nonetheless, uh, you could follow me at Eric Stein tweets. I really only tweet intermittently like I remember to about once a week and then I'll just, uh, you know, wax poetic about something that has no importance whatsoever. But normally I do ramp up again during Big Brother season, so I'll probably be more active then. All right, Liana, what have you got going on and how can people follow you on social media? Yeah, so first, I just want to say I did write a letter to myself. Um, I was inspired. This is before the finale. um, So I'm just going to read this real quick. I wrote, dear Liana, at least it's over. Love, Liana. (laughs) 
<laughs> that was sort of my feeling. Um, I, you know what? This was a crazy train wreck of a season, although I am happy uh, that it's over. It's going to be interesting on a rewatch and to see how my opinions change. Um, but I'm looking forward to what the future holds. I'm ready to put this season behind us. Uh, so I am on social media at Liana Boris, L-I-A-N-A-B-O-R-A-A-S. Uh, now that the B&B is wrapped up for Survivor, still doing drag race so um mike and i recorded uh with gabby pascuzzi actually um from survivor which was really fun to talk about all things drag race um and so look for that the finale will be coming up we're going to be doing a reunion finale thing combined um yeah and thanks uh, to everyone who gave me kale recipes i tried kale chips they were pretty good and i'm excited to try the other recipes so props to everybody out there is this going to be the summer of kale eric don't be triggered that i said kale yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I just, well, I just, as, as, sorry, this has nothing to do with anything. I just got an alert on my computer that said a baby giraffe was just fitted with shoes. I have no <laughs> idea what that means. Oh, that dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Breaking news. Important. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. No, no, no. What, but what shoe type though? Were they little Converse? I really hope they were tap shoes. Oh, can you imagine? That'd be so cute. Oh, man, we're ending the season on a cliffhanger. Now we'll never know. <laughs> Aww. Uh, so you can always follow me at a Mike Bloom type. And I guess to give my, my final thoughts on the season, I'm in agreement with Liana. You know, I've always professed my love for the train wreck seasons where this was the most unpredictable season of Survivor I think we've ever experienced between a number of big names going home in a row, especially in the post-merge, combined with just the craziest outcome of a season ever. I can't exactly say that it made it extremely enjoyable. I would say that this is not one of my favorite seasons, but like with every Survivor season, there were things to pick out of it. I just really hope that while I appreciate the idea of experimentation on Survivor, especially nearly 20 years in, that they have taken this experience, taken notes, and moved on from it that we are jarring this up like a nice container full of bees and we are not releasing the Edge of Extinction concept to filter into any other seasons. Uh, you can read my conversation with the winner of the season, Chris Underwood, for Parade.com. Also on Parade.com, I announced this on Twitter, but speaking of what's to come on Survivor, I happen to go out on location for Survivor Idol, Island of the Idols slash Gallagher Island. It was a truly surreal experience i posted a bit of an article uh, after the finale came out about jeff sort of explaining a little bit more about what the island of the idols twist will entail there's not much i can say at the moment but i would say watch this space in the next few months once we start getting more details about the season where i can talk about the cast interviews that i had the experiences that i went through it was an unbelievably amazing time and there is a lot of great stuff in terms of content coming out of the preseason from that season. So be sure to check it out. I cannot wait to share that with all of you. Uh, Liana said the drag race stuff is going on. I am working on the amazing race recap with Rob and Jessica, which is coming back for a double episode this week as we watch Chris's gray hat and everyone else run around the world. I'll also be doing exit press for the amazing race as well. Doing some SNL stuff to bunch of stuff here and there for various publications. So just check out my Twitter. I always sort of publish my stuff there. And that's going to do it for the B&B for Edge of Extinction. I want to thank all of our guests for coming on and giving their always entertaining thoughts on Survivor and this particular season, including 
the present guest Eric Stein, Josh Wiggler, Ali Lasher, Nicole Cesarnino, Taryn Armstrong, The Real Weird Sisters, Antonio Mazzaro, Brent Wolgamot, Shannon Gates, Peridium, Megan Z, Akiva Winnaker, Kurt Clark, Puya Zambichini, and Kirsten McKenna. We all appreciate you profoundly, and we would love to have you back at any point in time. Speaking of which, much like the end of last season, we have a feedback survey out for listeners of the B&B to give your thoughts about what you thought about this past season of coverage. If you go to bit.ly slash BNB, the letter B, the letter N, the letter B, survey 3838, you can fill that out. It's only a few questions. We really appreciate any thoughts you might have about how we can always keep improving ourselves to eventually make the perfect game of the B&B. Thank you all so much for listening. Special thanks to Scott St. Pierre for editing all this behind the scenes. Paul Osselson, our head writer, Wolfram America for our theme song. But most importantly, Liana Boris, my co-pilots to all the passengers we have been taking along this crazy plane ride. There is nobody else I would rather be doing this with. Your creativity, ingenuity, and love of the game shines through every week on the B&B. It's been a great four seasons so far podcasting with you. I cannot wait to see where five plus takes us. Yeah, emphasis on come. Thanks, Mike. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, I I just want to give one final comment. The baby giraffe foot shoes things are custom to help him walk. So we can just close out with those final words. On that note, thank you all so much for listening. We will be back to talk about some Big Brother, but if you're into Survivor, we'll certainly be back doing some preseason stuff for Survivor 39. Only a hop, skip, and a giraffe run away in the fall. Thank you again so much for listening. Have a great summer. We'll check you out at your next day. Mike and Diana, yeah, they're playing some games. You pray to your mama that they're not super lame. And if that all sounds cool, I can tell you the name. It's the R-H-A-P-B-M-B. Mike and Diana, yeah, they're playing some games. You pray to your mama that they're not super lame. And if that all sounds cool, I can tell you the name. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.